Bill versus Marvel. It's Bill versus versus Marvel. There was an idea to bring together a set of remarkable podcasters to see if they could become something more, to see if they could work together when we needed them, to rewatch the films we never could. Hello and welcome back to Bill vs. the MCU. I am not Bill. Say hi, Bill. Hello, I am Bill. Uh, the president of the Why Is Grant Ward Still in This Goddamn Series fan club. Oh, Bill, you have so many more episodes of Grant Ward to go. But before we get to that, I'm going to let you know that I am your host, Pop Break Podcasting Director Alex Marcus, and today we are taking another step into the wider Marvel multiverse as the MCU dives deeper into the multiverse saga. This month, we are continuing the third season of our podcast titled Agents in Crisis, where we are following select arcs from the first four seasons of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. In this episode, we will be reviewing a potpourri of episodes from the second season of the show as we chart the rise of the Inhumans. These episodes include Season 2, Episode 9 through 11, Season 2, Episode 16 through 17, and Season 2, Episodes 20 through 22. To help us welcome the wild world of Inhumans into the MCU, sort of, we are excited to have onto the pod the man who spent most of the last decade writing S.H.I.E.L.D. recaps for ThePopBreak.com and who now serves as one half of the Anniversary Brothers podcast, Aaron Sarnacki. But before we call out to our good buddy Gordon and ask him to bamf us over to Afterlife, it's time for another installment of Miss Minute's Marvel Memo, where we do our best to get through a month's worth of MCU news in under five minutes. Are you ready to see what this segment looks like now that the WGA and SAG-AFTRA are on strike and Hollywood is fully shut down? Yeah, I mean, I'll be a lot more excited than Dan was. I mean, like, my God, I felt like he was just he was being beaten like a like a scalded dog at that at that whole thing is like oh, yeah, <laughs> we, he was a trooper for us but today we're here to talk about marvel news so we're gonna put five minutes on the clock starting now okay loki sees it too trailer is here we got to see a glimpse of loki and our buddy owen wilson and our buddy sylvie who is working at a mcdonald's all sorts of stuff like that we also found out that the budget for this new season is 143 million dollars which is more than guardians of the galaxy and doctor strange but less than secret invasion which cost an unbelievable amount 212 million dollars wouldn't know it by looking at it uh also we know confirmation that loki season two will be written by eric martin and taking over for Michael Waldron, who wrote season one, and Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead will be directing, taking over for Kate Heron. So, Bill, how do you feel about the trailer? How do you feel about the fact that all the people who made the show last time aren't back? Well, so the, what the trailer did for me, unlike a lot of Marvel properties recently, uh, except for the aforementioned Guardians 3, was I felt like I've gone back to a, a time, a place, and a vibe. It really felt like I hadn't left loki i was right back where we we left off i i had the same atmosphere of fun and mystery and suspense and and what's possibly going to happen and then we got kehu kwan coming in in almost like this wonderful addition everything was there jonathan majors is in it we cannot deny that uh so we'll see what happens there but man i'm ready for the show this felt like a confident trailer this felt like we're not there weren't hiding stuff they're like here's the story 
and we're back with the story. I agree. It looked like it's a lot of fun. I'm a little concerned that nobody who made the first season is back for season two, except for the actors, but we will definitely see how that turns out in a few months. Happening this month is on August 5th and August 12th, with those both just passed. Miss Marvel aired on ABC alongside a special look at the Marvels. Uh, we also found out that Miss Marvel won a Television Critics Association Award for Best Family Series of the 2022 to 2023 season. And we've gotten lots of production stills and promo shots from the Marvels uh, that have been hitting online, some of which I've seen, some of which I've been trying to avoid. Bill, what do you think about all this Marvel? stuff hey listen mcdonald's happy meal right now for the month of august is the marvels they're going full court press with this and they should you have miss marvel is great we've talked about it we love captain marvel i think they really need to push hard with this one because i they need this to be a big hit one of the reasons why they need it to be a big hit is because secret invasion is marvel's first rotten tv series ever getting 57 percent overall and the finale got a whopping seven percent on the service out of 14 reviews it is the third rotten project for the mcu ever after eternals and uh quantum mania i guess they didn't see thor the dark world or or moon knight or a couple other things that pretty much sucked in the mcu <laughs> we will be talking a lot more about secret invasion uh in a couple of months uh but <laughs> if you want to hear what bill and i think about that finale you can definitely head on over to socially distance to find out in the meantime another marvel tv show is making some headlines because echo which is supposed to be dropped in december all in one day was left off the list of key upcoming shows oh. that disney presented to investors previewing their fourth quarter schedule now that doesn't mean that it's not coming out but it it does mean that they're at least holding out the chance of not letting it air then maybe to help deal with the strike and the limited amount of uh, content that they might be having in the spring um but bill what do you think about this do you think that echo fans should be worried no i don't think so because if this is intrinsically tied to daredevil and daredevil's production has been bumped and pushed and delayed obviously due to the strike we're over 100 days into the strike as of recording uh, they're going to need content, so they're going to. It makes sense to push Echo out a bit. Uh, this way, you can, you know, you have your time, especially if their their theory of Bob Iger's, you know, concern of taking your time with with things is is going to be the mantra for Marvel. Put Echo out, take your time with Daredevil, give us the best Daredevil you can. Now, it wouldn't be a Miss Minutes Marvel memo without some Fantastic Four rumors. Uh, we had <laughs> word this month that Jack Quaid said that he is absolutely positively not playing Johnny Storm in Fantastic Four. Uh, we also got a rumor claiming that Vanessa Kirby has already agreed to play Sue Storm and that Stranger Things is Joseph Quinn has been locked in as Johnny. Bill, do you believe this round of rumors? Yes, I do. I, really... I do not. <laughs> well, fuck. Uh, well, and once again, uh, I do. Th I, I feel like the strongest about Vanessa Kirby. Um, obviously, we don't know. I mean, everything could change. We're still in the midst of a strike. These are all rumors. But I feel like Vanessa Kirby, that's a hell of a get. I think she's a great actress. We love her in Mission Impossible. We love her elsewhere. Uh, I'm sure she'll be up for an another Oscar this year with Napoleon. Uh, Joe Quinn, I think, is actually a really uh, interesting choice. Sounds fake. Sounds like something that the internet made up. Sure, uh, but I'm sa I'm saying sounds nice. <laughs> it also we also got a rumor that Adam Driver declined to be in this movie specifically because the script was so bad. Um, I find that to be hard to believe because they literally re fired the person who was writing the script and hired somebody new, and then the writer strike happened, so Adam Driver couldn't have possibly read the new script. But that's a rumor that's online. <laughs> I heard it was because he and Mark. Margot Robbie did not take it because the roles because they would not meet the price tag, which sounds a lot more likely. Now, unfortunately, 
unfortunately, that is five minutes. So we did not get to some of the other things that we wanted to talk about today, including the fact that there is an MCU filmmaking satire that HBO just picked up to series by a Veep writer and Oscar winning director Sam Mendes that is supposed to star Billy Magnuson, Richard E. Grant and Daniel Bruhl, two of which have been in the MCU. Uh, That's called The Franchise. And we don't have a release date that just got picked up to series. We also got word from your friend, uh, WWE star Seth Rollins, uh, that he is actually going to be in Captain America 4 after the production photos leaked online, but he refused to say anything other other than it was a very good experience for me, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the reaction is from everybody. So he is towing the company line. Also towing the company line is Heartstopper star Joe Locke, who confirmed that he is cast in a Marvel project, but wouldn't say which project it was. We know that it is Agatha, uh, Coven of Chaos, but he did say that he did everything that he could to get it, and that, and that working with his co-stars was great. So a lot of people giving a lot of really uh, significant quotes to internet outlets. We also found out that uh, Ant-Man star Catherine Newton uh, who got aged up into Cassie Lang. Uh, she initially uh, was a finalist to be Kate Bishop uh, for the Hawkeye show before Haley uh, got the role. And we also know that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is now on Disney+. And for all you people who do not subscribe to Disney+, but like clip shows, Marvel Studios Legends is now available for free on Marvel Entertainment's YouTube channel. That is all the news this month. Hey, it's Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. Join myself, Amanda Rivas, Al Manorino, and a cavalcade of awesome guests on the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. And it's Amanda Rivas. If you're a pop culture-obsessed nerd like we are, then you need to make Socially Distanced an integral part of your life. We talk all the things, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, everything on Disney Plus pretty much, as well as the hottest trending shows and news in the world of pop culture. This is definitely Al Manorino and not Bill Bodkin. So listen to the Socially Distanced podcast every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so we can eventually get Disney Plus to give us advertising money. Please, we could use the money. I I have children. He has reviewed every episode of this series on a weekly basis for the site beginning in spring of 2016 until the series went off the air in the summer of 2020. But we've never heard what he thinks about the series' second season until now. It's Aaron Cernerke. Welcome all back onto the podcast, Aaron. Yeah, I was uh, I was trying to think. It's like, how long has it been? It was a long run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you three and a half seasons you did, over 80 episodes... And, uh, you know, the whole world changed, I think, twice between the spring of 2016 and the summer of 2020. (laughs) Before we get too far into our thoughts on S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, can you provide the audience with some background on how you first got into superhero media? As far as superhero media, I pretty much always grew up with it. Probably my earliest memory is watching reruns of the Adam West Batman early weekday mornings and then, you know, watching reruns of Batman the Animated Series. So yeah, I I was always really a big Batman fan. So Christmas 1997, loads of Batman and Robin toys. Uh, Really got into Marvel, I think, when Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man movie hit the theaters. And then as far as like the MCU, I think like most people, when Iron Man hit the screen, it was just kind of like a really big surprise because I was really looking forward to the Dark Knight that year. And yeah, Iron Man was sort of a pleasant surprise that 
I don't think a lot of people were anticipating um, ended up being very successful, you know, critically and financially. And uh, yeah, kind of just followed uh, the MCU from there. And were you then, like hooked right away when it came to the MCU? I did see most of the movies. I think there were only two movies, I think, between like Avengers and Iron Man that I didn't see. One I don't, I didn't even know, like, Incredible Hulk came out. <laughs> and then for some reason, uh, the first Captain America snuck by me. But I like, I remember seeing uh, Iron Man 2 and Thor and the Avengers all with friends. So it seemed like a big experiment at the time, um, especially like hearing about Incredible Hulk where they're like, yes, yeah, Tony, Tony Stark shows up at the end. He's like, yeah, let's form the Avengers. And like, wow, that's never been done before. I wonder if it'll happen. And then it did. <laughs> And, and it took over the world. With a different Hulk actor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you know, you can never keep a Hulk in one place for too long. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so that's that's uh, that's interesting that it was kind of like right away for you, this love and affection of, right. of the MCU. Did it extend to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right from the beginning? Because, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comes out fall of 2013. We've had the Avengers, we've had Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World, which are right. movies that, you know, I think uh, came out. People forget how both of them were kind of received a bit lukewarmly at the time. Right. I think Iron Man 3, there's been a bit of a reclamation project mm -hmm. on that one. People right. like it yeah. much more now than they did when it released Thor The Dark World. Uh, you know, no matter how much Kevin Feige tries to make us care about that mm -hmm. movie, I don't think he's ever going to succeed. But then, yeah. boom, we got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So... Were you hyped for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when it came out in 2013? I guess I was just like not really big into following the news of like these are the shows that's coming out. I know like, Alex, you have probably like a list of like all the like major shows that are coming out within like the next year. But at the time it was actually like really like, oh, I didn't know they were making an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. That sounds kind of interesting. So, you know, I was um, I guess it was like senior year of college. I remember uh, watching it. Um, I don't even think at the time I had a, a high def TV. I think I watched it on like my big silver, like insignia CRT <laughs> in my uh, dorm room. Um, and I was like, okay, the, this seems like kind of the natural progression of things. Cause especially that first episode dealt with uh, extremis, which was in Iron Man three. So mm -hmm. I was familiar with that and I was like, okay, th this seems like the path forward. And then I, I know you already talked about on your last podcast, how that quickly was upended. Yes. Early on, I was pretty invested. We talked about this um, back when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ended three years ago, uh, when we did the uh, So Long to All That. I, you know, was kept watching. I, I know that a lot of people were really ragging on the first half of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after the first couple episodes. They're like, it's not going anywhere. It's just kind of vanilla, not really interesting. Um, I, I was kind of like an early defender. I was like, you know, I think there's something here. But as it went on, I got like embarrassed that like people was like, yeah, the show's just not very good. They're probably going to cancel. And I'm just like, uh, I, I don't want to be the guy who says, oh, I'm still watching it. Yeah, well, and that's, la you know, last month we talked to Lonnie Diane Reich about that kind of status of the show as the redheaded stepchild of yeah. the of the MCU for so long. And it really does feel like it very quickly became this sort of like also ran like embarrassing thing that's attached to this giant entertainment juggernaut but for people mm -hmm. who stuck around and stuck with it i think it really captured a lot of people's hearts right, and right. uh you know you certainly spent 
many, many, many hours thinking about this show. The former Pop Break writer, Luke Calamar, was Pop Break's weekly recapper of the series for the first two and a half seasons until he mm-hmm. got a job with ABC and then could no longer do the sh- <laughs> do the recaps of this ABC show. So thanks to that little conflict of interest popping up, you ended up hopping on to the weekly coverage and mm-hmm. you never let it go. <laughs> so yeah. can you walk us through how all that came about? Yeah, so it's funny because that happened around the same time that uh, I think I think Luke was also TV editor and he had to step down from that. So Bill basically gave me a call. I guess that's this like late 2015, early 2016. He's like, "Hey, we need a new TV editor. Also, can you review Agents of Shield?" I'm not sure if it happened at the same time, but basically, <laughs> so I, I very much took on a, a big responsibility from then, but, you know, honored that, you know, he thought, you know, he said, look, you're a really good writer. Um, you know, you pay a lot of attention to detail. You, you know, notice things as far as editing. Um, and I know you watch Agents of the Shield, so it seems like a good fit. And I couldn't have come on, I think, at a better time. I mean, would I have wished maybe like I had gotten to review the whole series? Yeah, like that would have been nice. It just have a continuity. But I think starting, you know, with the back half of season three, was a really good opportunity because I think that that season in particular was was really interesting. I, I had a professor for TV program packaging. Um, her name is uh, Tara Bennett, and she uh, she actually w- wrote the Lost Encyclopedia for that show. And she's done like podcasts for different uh, shows. I think for like uh, History Channel, she's probably written some reviews. But she was explaining to me at the time that like. Uh, well, the whole class was like typically with at least network television back in the day shows typically in terms of quality, like maybe the first four or five years are usually their strongest. Often then like the uh, the showrunners will usually leave and then like the quality would often dip. Um, I think the biggest example of, well, I, I can't say from experience, but I, I know the biggest example of the showrunner leaving would be with the West Wing when Aaron Sorkin left after the fourth season. I mean, he built his whole masterclass, I know, on saying, I've never watched an episode after season four. <laughs> but I think that holds true. Uh, not to say that there's nothing good after, you know, season four or five with S.H.I.E.L.D., but I think that holds true that it took a little while to find itself. I think when it, you know, it reached that, you know, episode 16 you guys were talking about for season one, it really started to hit its stride. And I think that up until the first few episodes of season five, it was pretty consistent on like being much better than even though i guess they were more popular the flash and arrow i mean arrow mm-hmm. talk about a show that didn't even get its stride for the first four or five seasons it's like season two <laughs> downhill from there <laughs> yes and if you want to hear more about what Aaron and i think about arrow you could definitely listen to the episode of his podcast uh where we celebrated the 10th anniversary of arrow mm-hmm. And I got a lot of my uh, feelings on the Arrowverse and, uh, just out into the open on that episode. But uh, yeah, I've always found like that it was very interesting that S.H.I.E.L.D. was such a consistently better show than those CW mm-hmm. shows and yet never got the credit for it. And I think it's just because, you know, DC, the movie side of things was always so chaotic and mm-hmm. crazy and polarizing. And uh, on the TV side, things were really moving and popular and it felt like people like really liked what was going on. And mm-hmm. so I think that kind of that contrast helped those shows a little bit more because it was like, yeah. oh, well, at least they know what they're doing here. And then if you flip that with the MCU, like MCU is like taking over the world in movies. How can a TV show compare? But 
mm-hmm. again, it's like they were doing such great stuff that people didn't know about. And I really think a lot of it, a lot of it starts in that, you know, mm-hmm. post winter soldier run of the show. But then we move into season two and status quo completely blown up from the first season. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of new characters, a lot of new intrigue. We got getting mysteries solved. What did you think about this second season? Right. Well, I was, I was actually like, as much as I do like that back half of uh, season one, I, I was a little like underwhelmed with how I, I think season one ran, wrapped up because they kind of set up this big mystery of like, there's something really weird going on with Coulson, but you got to find mm-hmm. out next season. So it's like, okay, <laughs> this better deliver because he, he's drawing all these weird things on, you know, chalkboards and stuff like that. Uh, up until that point, I like never heard of the Inhumans. The, the MCU, as far as uh, movies, has kind of prided itself on taking like C-level characters like Iron Man and like making them big. So I don't know how big the Inhumans are in the comics for the longest time, they weren't really that big at all. They were just this, like, royal family that lived on the moon. They're kind of like uh, mutant knockoffs, and right. they were, like, uh, supporting characters in Fantastic Four. Then, around, like, the er- like the mid to late 2000s, Fox is making a lot of X-Men movies, making a lot of money off of X-Men movies. Marvel doesn't own the rights to the movies for X-Men, and the edicts came down, all right, we need to come up with an alternative. We can't keep creating new characters for Fox to make money off of. We need to come up with something that's going to battle the X-Men in terms of like prominence in, in, mm-hmm. our, in our stories and in the culture. And we need our own version of this uh, to get around this like rights issue that we have. Mm-hmm. So they chose Inhumans, and they basically had a series of very high-profile comic book arcs that crossed over into the whole uh, universe basically and exposed all of these people to terrogenesis that never had it before and now all of a sudden there's all of these people rising up suddenly discovering they have powers and they're no longer just inhumans are no longer just this little community that lives on a mm-hmm. on the moon with a royal family and uh slaves and like there's all sorts of weird stuff that goes on right i mean as somebody who <laughs> review also reviewed the inhuman series and <laughs> For a little while, was like it's not as bad as everybody says, but by the end, I was like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> the less we talk about that, the better. But it is really relevant because that all is happening at the same time. So Marvel comics, Marvel like entertainment as a whole, is really trying to make Inhumans happen. And Agent of Shield got completely sucked into that in terms mm-hmm. of you know this season, all of the big mysteries of the end of season one are resolved to be. Inhumans, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what's been going on the whole time underneath her nose. That's Sky now Daisy. She was the mystery of her origin is she's an inhuman. Like mm-hmm. uh, Coulson acting kind of crazy, writing stuff on walls. Why is he doing that? Because of the Inhumans, right? So it's all connected to the Inhumans now, mm-hmm. and that makes me wonder how you feel about that pivot because it definitely is going into a more comic booky direction, right? We're doing Mm -hmm. superpowers. We're doing all this stuff that this, the first season couldn't necessarily do upping the scale, all that stuff. But season one really ends with this sense of like, you know, shields up back up up against the wall. We have to fight all Hydra. We got to take them out wherever they pop up. And season two is really kind of like, in a lot of ways, they try to connect those two threads, right? They try Mm -hmm. to bring Hydra and and in humans together and make that a coherent story do you think that they pulled that off um i think that they pulled it well i mean obviously they didn't have the inhumans in uh the the movies but i think like they 
pulled it off relatively, but this was in a way rewarding to watch the show that addressed Hydra way more than strangely the movies did after Winter Soldier. They're basically like after Winter Soldier, just like, Oh yeah, Age of Ultron, we're looking for them. We've got the head of Hydra, gonna eliminate him. And then it's like, you know, Hydra's not really a part of the movies anymore. So I did appreciate that, you know, they tried to connect everything, you know, humans and Hydra. I think for the most part, it, it works. You know, it is really surprising that, like, you basically could have called this show instead of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. You could have called it Inhumans because it basically dominated the rest of the, the show. Um, I mean, there are bits and pieces, I guess, that are a little less based on Inhumans because, like, they had Ghost Rider, so it's more of a Ghost Rider show for half a season. But, I mean, it's... It's pretty much, it never goes away. A and even though it did kind of uh, feel like a mutant ripoff to, to a degree, you know, it, it, it probably was the right choice. I will say that even though you say it's very comic booky, again, like not being super familiar with the humans and especially the, the connections after the first season starting to get a little more sparse, like not getting like uh, Sif, I think, showed up in the first season, you know, you had mm-hmm. like Nick Fury. Sometimes I would have to remind myself is like whenever they don't have like a crossover episode that like mentions Civil War or Age of Ultron, I'd be like, this is a Marvel show. It's like it, it, it feels more tangential, but like this is a Marvel show. Yeah, well, it felt like the longer they went on, the more they had to kind of carve out their own space in the storytelling world to be like, mm-hmm. we're doing our own thing. We can't just be reliant on what's happening in the movies because – you know, the production uh, schedules and the infighting behind the scenes on the production level, like it just there was not the coherence that uh, was right. originally envisioned. And so right. it I, know, like- I know at the time I was kind of frustrated by that. I, we talked about this again on our uh, Goodbye to All That podcast. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, what took priority was telling the best story. And I think that it might not have been the best story if they had tried to connect it. Cause I'm like, I think they very easily could have had like Fitz or Simmons being the background on the helicarrier in one of the movies. And I'd be like, explain the science stuff. But like, I don't know if that would have made this series or the movies better. I think that they, they ultimately, you know, they stuck to a direction uh, is more like, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to, you know, really commit to it. And um, I think they did it well. Yeah, that kind of that kind of reminds me of how on I, I don't know if you saw the DC show Peacemaker, but one of the uh-huh. actresses that's on Peacemaker, one of the leads, uh, she's like part of Task Force X, and it's like this covert like you know operation inside the DC universe. And then in Black Adam, terrible movie, Black Adam, <laughs> uh, that character is there, like re- like ha- staffing this like prison that Black Adam is yeah. get put into, and it like adds nothing at all to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like there's no benefit. Like you don't get anything out of it except to just be like, Oh, that's her from the TV show. She's here now. And you're just like, exactly. okay. So yeah, I agree. I don't know if that would have necessarily, I think that's exactly the sort of thing that people wanted in the moment. And I don't know if that mm-hmm. really would have given them what they thought they wanted. But speaking of getting things that people may or may not have wanted season two introduces a lot of new characters onto the scene. And some mm-hmm. of them we see, uh, sticking with us for a long time. Some of them are kind of here and gone uh, pretty quickly. We're going to try to avoid spoilers for season three and beyond for now. Okay, just stick to yeah. season two. But the big the big people here are Hunter, Bobby, Mac. Those are the big kind of team mm-hmm. additions. And then, of course, later on, we get the real S.H.I.E.L.D. and all of those oh, yeah. agents, including Edward James Olmos uh, and all of those guys. So 
what do you think about all these new additions? Do you feel like we talked a little bit about it last month with, with Lonnie as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The kind of tension of we have this great core group of characters in season one, and now we're just kind of like flooding the zone with new characters. Mm -hmm. Was that the right choice? Like, do we feel like we enhanced the scope of the show? We enhanced the breadth of the show or did we just distract ourselves from the characters Mm -hmm. that we actually care about? Um, I mean, I think that for me, it's sort of hard to believe looking back that Mac was not there from the beginning because he became such an integral part of the team so quickly. And in some ways, it's sort of like the emotional, like, I think, heart of the team. I'm very much fond of Mac. Uh, Hunter and and Bobby, it's sort of like they were I felt like they were such a big deal for such a short amount of time. And like. I feel like they kind of didn't get their due because they were like, well, we want to give them a spinoff. That's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And I think they came back like once. So um, I, I remember liking them when they were, they were in the show. Um, so I, I do think it was a little bit unfortunate that they weren't in it more. I'm trying to remember the, the actress who plays Bobby. Adrian Plicky. Yeah. Well, I just remember also that she was in the, the failed pilot for uh, the Wonder Woman, I think, Wonder on NBC. Woman. Yeah. So, I mean, she definitely bounced back. (laughs) She did. I mean, she's most known, I think, for her role as Tyra on Friday Night Lights. uh, She is excellent. Um, And then, of course, she spent the last, like, five or six years on that um, Star Trek ripoff show that uh, Seth MacFarlane (laughs) created. (laughs) The Orville. Yeah. Yeah. Where it was like, it started out as, like, we're a satire of Star Trek. And then he was like, actually, I just want to make Star Trek Next Generation episodes. And then I guess that's what he, and then he's, he's Seth MacFarlane, so he could do whatever he wants, I guess. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But she's, like, the co lead of that show. So she's been employed in in genre for a long time. You know, there are plenty of actors that I'm like, really wish that like they went on to other things. Yeah. But you also mentioned the real shield and um, that's also like a plot point that I feel like if you ask even most fans, they'll probably be like, Oh yeah, that happened for like maybe three episodes and then it, it didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> um, I, I, it was interesting. Cause that's actually how we, like, we meet Mac. And I think was Hunter part of them too. I'm trying to remember. It was Mac and Bobby were the were Mac and Bobby. Yeah, group. so they're like yeah. the real shield instead of like a round shield. They're like a square shield or a triangular shield. <laughs> they're the shield on the ship. That's what makes them real. Right. They're in the water. Um, so, <laughs> I, I mean, I was never super invested with that storyline, but like I didn't hate it either. Um, it, it's one of those things where at the time I didn't really understand how big a get edward james almost was for them like Mm. um i don't think i knew that he was in battlestar galactica as like what the the captain so he obviously had big sci-fi creds also i'd seen him in blade runner um also you know want to give credit to him for you know his great performance in stand deliver i know that's something very different but (laughs) very much deserved that oscar nomination but, but yeah, oh, yeah just, to show, just to show that he is, was a very high caliber actor that they got. Yeah, well, and that's so one of the fun things about going through these early seasons of S.H.I.E.L.D. again is noticing that they really got heavy hitters for guest stars in those first yeah. few years. Like, you know, with Bill Paxton in yeah. season one as the kind of big bad um, for the second half of the show, which is a huge get for a show mm-hmm. like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the way that we think about it anyway. And then, you know, season two, we get Kyle MacLachlan and Edward James almost on right. the, on board. That's like crazy. Like, how I, It's the funny thing. I also was not super familiar with 
Kyle McLaughlin at the time. I don't know if I even knew he was in Twin Peaks, which I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I also was apparently in some weird Hamlet with Ethan Hawke in like 2000. <laughs> sure. He also, you know, Dune, the original Dune. He is the yeah, original Paul Atreides in Dune. Paul Atreides. But yeah, so it's it's crazy. And then like season three, we get Powers Booth as sort of the big, right. you know, um, name. So I, yeah, I, I did know that, Powers Booth. And after that, you don't Booth. really get a name again. I, I, Right. I, I, I had seen him um, in other things. And, you know, he's actually people probably didn't realize was actually in the Avengers in like silhouette. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was some of the connective tissue that most people probably missed. It's a fun poll that they did. Speaking of season three. So uh, we're not covering season three on this right. podcast because I wanted, you know, season four is my favorite of this right. of the whole show. And so I wanted to really do justice for all the three concrete arcs that we get in season four um and i will be honest season three is probably my least favorite of all of the seasons of shield but you seem like a big defender of that so i want to give you some time now to kind of just talk up why i'm wrong (laughs) well i'm actually a little surprised because i always assumed that season six was your least favorite well yeah we are also skipping season six i honestly try not to think about season six uh (laughs) but but season three i think uh i probably like it less just because there's for me personally i think there's a lot of opportunity to do interesting stuff that they kind of squander and they Mm -hmm. like popular and it's just very messy whereas season six you know, they tried to do something and it didn't quite make a lot of sense, but like it did, it just didn't totally work, but like they went for it at least, mm-hmm. you know, whereas okay, this you're felt... saying that season three, they didn't commit season six, they committed and failed. So that's exactly. And I'll mm-hmm. always respect a season that, you know, commits and fails miserably mm-hmm. than a season that just is like a total mess right. of, of ideas. Right. I, I guess like, I mean, I guess I have maybe a soft spot for season three because that is when I started reviewing it, but also, like, I was pretty intrigued with the the lore that they were trying to tell us about with with Hydra and, in that season, and then um, kind of the direction that they took Ward in that season, which was very different. I know you and Bill are very down on Ward, um, and I feel like eventually they were like, we we got to do like a pivot with with him because like even now it's not working for everybody. But but and I don't know. Why did I, they pivot? Yeah, I, I, I liked. <laughs> I don't know. I liked season three, and I kind of, I guess, felt sort of like people don't know the true origins of Hydra because they're not watching the show. But I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but like, <laughs> whether or not you like that, I know it's very weird. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think that that. I just don't think that the secret origin of Hydra as a storyline worked as well as it could have. Okay. And and like that tying that into like the Lash stuff. And the hive stuff, it just kind of, I don't yeah. know, it just was very messy. It, and, I will admit, and also, yeah, some stuff was definitely messy. And I, I've also, said you that introduce, you introduce Constance Zimmer, who is fantastic, and she is amazing. And then you fridge her to make Colson mad at Ward, as if Ward, he needed another reason to be mad at Ward in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was also a bummer. Right. Uh, no spoilers for season six, because we'll cover that part of the show at some point. Uh-huh. But there's some shenanigans in space that I will just leave at that, but right. that are pretty fun. And and I think that's better than anything that happens in season mm-hmm. three. <laughs> Although season three does have its own shenanigans in space episode as well. So we'll give it credit for that. Yeah. But uh, moving on from season three. Overall, season two starts the evolution of Chloe Bennett's character from Sky to Daisy, mm-hmm. and we really finally get to know 
her origin story. We get to meet both of her parents. We get to see her really come into her own as a character once she f- truly understands where her place in the world is and has that kind of the question of her origin answered. Mm-hmm. But also, like, by the end of that, it seems like she's coming to a really good place emotionally in terms of I'm part of this team now. I have answered mm-hmm. these questions about the, the humans and my parents and I've gotten some closure and now I'm ready to like fully commit to this team as this new version of myself as Quake, as Daisy mm-hmm. Johnson, right? How did that all work for you? Is that what you were hoping for from the character when we meet her as the plucky kind of like internet hacker uh, anarchist right. in the first right. episode? I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I really thought there was a lot of potential in the sort of hacker persona for sky at the time i think that she's just a much more interesting character as as daisy and quake um because i feel like they didn't really need another tech person i but i think that having i don't think at the time they had anybody with powers no like season one has the deathlock character right but he's like an antagonist He's more of an antagonist that kind of comes like he's he's a he's a bit of a morally gray figure, right? He's getting right. manipulated to do bad stuff in season one, but he doesn't really want to. And then, you know, so but he is at least a super powered character to a certain degree. But that's he, the closest that we get in season right. one to like true. Yeah, I guess it just people. it needed, um, you know, obviously her, her backstory with her parents is, I think, is really interesting to introduce. And, and then the connection with uh, Hydra, they introduce this character, Daniel Whitehall, who's like a terrible person. I, I thought that added a lot of drama. Yeah, it just it makes it feel a little more comic booky. I mean, you actually, as, as, you know, as they introduce more Inhumans, it, it you know it feels like okay, this is just like this is Agents of Shield because it's supposed to feel like you know they're super enhanced beings. It makes sense they have them on the team. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, zooming all the way out for a second, you covered over eighty episodes of the show on a weekly basis oh, geez, for PopRate dot com. Uh, what is something that you feel like you learned through that experience, either about the show, about yourself, about mm-hmm. superhero media? Like, what right. did, that's a lot of time to devote to a project. Right. I'm very much proud of like sticking with it, but I, I, at the same time, I'm like, I probably could never do a, a, a series like that again for a network show, just because it's it, there's too much time to devote. I mean, that was a challenge, especially when I when I did it then, because um. They they moved Shield I think at season four I think they moved it to Friday, mm-hmm. and I at the time I actually worked um, on the weekends so I that was sort of a challenge it's like I, I would work like nights you know had to wake up and like watch the episode which was either on I guess the Comcast app or the ABC app and if it was on the ABC app sometimes it would like just freeze and I would have to go. <laughs> to the back and then it would make me watch the same ads again um yes yes absolutely the the struggle of watching the tv on the internet in the early 2010s was very real and very annoying right and and then you know like trying to i guess squeak out a review before i went to to work um what, what i learned about myself is that i very much can work on a tight schedule but I think if I were to review another show, it probably would be in, in, in a situation like I did with the uh, designated survivor with my brother, where we were kind of the tag team of that, I, 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 especially like these, these seasons that, you know, the, with the exception of the last two seasons, this was 22 episodes. And that was a big 
time commitment. I mean, now I mean, if I was reviewing, say, like a show on Disney Plus that's like only six episodes, that that is a much you know easier uh, task. Yeah, twenty-two episode season for many years. That's you're basically a part-time job. You're watching. <laughs> you're <of>. watching <laughs> dozens of hours of TV, then you actually have to write about it. So that takes mm-hmm. a little bit of time. So yeah, it's it's quite the commitment. Right, but as you um, and your your guest last time talked about, I think they the way that they split into was it called the pods. They were yes. very strategic about how they were doing their episodes, and I feel like that helped me not get burnt out because it always felt like they were moving to something else. It's like when I go to you know my parents' house and my dad is watching NCIS, and it's the same episode essentially from you know 20 years ago (laughs) yeah yeah well and that's the appeal of those shows right because it's like it's giving you exactly what you know that you're gonna get like it's like going to a mcdonald's like chicken nuggets at a mcdonald's is gonna be the same (laughs) in 1999 or 2039 yeah as soon as they replace with the white meat <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. So, speaking of like forward looking uh, yeah. and or fo- or backwards looking, kind of asking all of my guests in this season of the show uh, this question because I'm just really curious where everybody is at with this because it's mm-hmm. such a hotly contested question. Like, is Shield canon? Should we bring Shield characters into the MCU into other projects? Should we leave it as its own like, mm-hmm. beautiful little crystalline figure <laughs> on the shelf and not touch it? What do you think about all that? Um, I held that shield uh, as I was reviewing it. I didn't see any major conflict in, you know, continuity until the end of the fifth season where it seemed like, like, yeah, we're kind of doing our own thing now. I mean, and I'm sure Kevin Feige, you know, we, we talked about this. There was Marvel television that was headed by somebody else. Kevin Feige was kind of like, we coexist, but we, we don't mingle with each other. So <laughs> yeah. um, I, in his mind, it probably was never canon. In my mind, it was it was canon for a time. I don't think that it is canon now. Um, I, could, I would actually argue that Agent Carter might be more canon than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because they had um, the actor who played Jarvis in Endgame. That is true. Um, so um, it doesn't... And it it did kind of like make me think of like, especially with 2020, when there were no Marvel shows or movies outside of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm like, was well, like, yeah, I'm still kind of getting Marvel. But it was like, am I really? But so if it's not canon, uh, you know, we've had characters like Daredevil mm-hmm. pop up. It doesn't seem like the stories that happened on those Netflix shows are going to be reflected mm-hmm. in this new version of Daredevil in the MCU. But we still have the same actor. We still have mm-hmm. a similar performance of the role. Would you like to see anybody from S.H.I.E.L.D. come back in that capacity? Or even, you know, let's say they exist in an alternate universe. We live in a world where uh, people are hopping into other universes mm-hmm. all the time these days. So would you like that to happen? Right. Maybe the little only... Chloe Bennett cameo in Deadpool 3, you know? It, wait, is she supposed to be in it? Well, no, but I mean, would you uh, want her to be? I, I mean, that's the, I think uh, Quake is the one character that I think would probably fit best. It's not something that I need to see, but I definitely would be here for it if it happened. I, I mean, anything, I think Chloe Bennett, as you guys said, for some reason, I was not aware that she got some hate early on for her performance. I, I think she's a very talented actor. So I think that they would be definitely a win for them, would be a win for her. 
Um, I think, you know, her, her schedule is probably pretty open. I think I saw that she's going to be in the next season of Invincible as a character. But um, yeah, no, I would be here for that. Um, as far as any other characters, I, I don't really imagine that. I would have said maybe Hunter and Bobby, but, you know, s- since they seem to be busy, I, I, I think uh, just leaving it at Daisy would be was fine. Though, I don't know. I, I, I would kind of like to see May. I think May would fit somehow be a fun addition if they could fit her yeah well and you know i mean we got the actress uh in book of boba fett yeah which was yeah. you know great for her right but, and we, we just know, talked about she deserves uh, so much more <laughs> right we talked about mulan uh recently on our anniversary brothers podcast so ming na wen definitely has a you know a pretty interesting career um so i i think that i don't know i always like may so i i would like to see that She's on a very short list of people who can say they're in Star Wars, they're a Disney princess, they're in Marvel. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, and it's well deserved. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anything to get her off of Book of Boba Fett season two, <laughs> yeah. I think we can all agree. But all right, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. Is there any last words that you have on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the first four seasons at least? A lot of people, like you said, did not give it credit. And I think it's a solid show. I would say that. I know I keep referencing our, the podcast we did again, but it, at the time it was like, well, yeah, I recommended this show for anybody who is sort of starving for Marvel media. And when we were sort of in a desert of it in 2020, now that we have a little more, I would still recommend it to people who, you know, are at least somewhat interested because I think if they can put it past themselves that like, okay, maybe it's not part of the official timeline like, I don't think that really matters as long as it tells a good story. And I think this did. I'm right there with you. I think that's a great place to end it. Thanks so much, Aaron. Okay, now it is time to deep dive into my personally curated, all hits, no skips, crash course on season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., better known, at least on my spreadsheet, as the Rise of the Inhumans. But before we can do that, let's meet our new entries into Fury's Notebook, because boy oh boy, Bill, did this cast expand between seasons. I broke it up into a couple of different categories of new uh, members, because uh, there's people all around the board who got added. So first, we're going to hit up the new S.H.I.E.L.D. team members. That includes Nick Blood as Lance Hunter, who is a roguish British mercenary and former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who joins the team after his mentor Lucy Lawless, a.k.a. Xena, Warrior Princess, is killed by Hydra. Yes, Lucy Lawless is in the first episode of this season, um, and she gets killed almost immediately, and for a long time everybody was like, she's going to come back, and then she never did, so we never got to watch it because we didn't watch that episode. Uh, So... She was working with Lance Hunter. Meanwhile, we also have Adrian Plicky of Friday Night Lights and the Orville uh, <laughs> as Bobby Mockingbird Morse. She was an elite tier S.H.I.E.L.D. agent undercover in Hydra when we first meet her. She is also Hunter's on-again, off-again ex-wife and trusted confidant of Simmons, who she met while also undercover at Hydra. Speaking of Simmonses, uh, Henry Simmons is playing Mac, Bobby's trusted confidant, and a fellow engineer who has taken an interest in helping Turbo. Bo, aka Fitz, get back on his feet after his perilous 
near-death experience at the bottom of the ocean at the end of season one by who, Bill? Oh, motherfucking Grant Ward. Absolutely. Speaking of people who got fucked over by Grant Ward last season, Patton Oswalt is back, this time playing Sam Caning, identical brother to Billy Caning, who remains on the show, and the dearly departed Eric, who is also an identical brother of. Yes, it's starting to get weird that there are so many people who Patton Oswalt is playing on this show. Are they robots? Are they just multiple sets of uh, identicals? Uh, Who's to say? They're having a lot of fun with it. We also have Edward James Olmos as Robert Gonzalez, commander of a prized S.H.I.E.L.D. battleship, who survived the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Mac and Bobby's help, and who is quite suspicious of Director Coulson and his new team of powered people. And finally, on the S.H.I.E.L.D. side, we have Blair Underwood as Dr. Andrew Garner, a psychiatrist with whom Coulson has been consulting and who happens to also be Agent May's ex-husband. Moving on over to the baddies, we have Kyle McLaughlin, a.k.a. Cal, Sky's yeah. long-lost dad with major rage issues. We will definitely be talking a lot about him. We also have Reed Diamond playing Dr. Daniel Whitehall, a member of the Hydra High Command imprisoned back in the 1940s who recently broke out of jail and remains ageless. We also have Simon Cassidyne as Sunil Bakshi, Whitehall's trusted right hand and leader of the mind control program. Also, we have Henry Goodman as Dr. List, a top Whitehall lieutenant who escapes a purge on Hydra's leadership so he can pop up in Age of Ultron and unleash Wanda and Pietro Maximoff onto the world. Finally, in the baddie section, we have Maya Stojan as Carolyn Palamus, aka Agent 33, a brainwashed former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who eventually falls into a bad romance with good old Grant Ward, though she often is wearing May's face. (laughs) And our last little group of of new additions are the Inhumans, of course, which we have uh, Dishin Lachlan as Jiaying, leader of the Afterlife Inhumans, and also who is the long-lost mother of Skye, who we had thought was dead through the first half of the season. Jamie Harris as Gordon, an eyeless teleporting inhuman and Jiang's trusted number two. And last but not least, Luke Mitchell as Lincoln Campbell, a healer inhuman with static electricity powers who tries to help guide Sky's journey of self-acceptance. So Bill, lots and lots of new people that we met in this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Before we get into what they did and why they did it, what do you think about blowing up this cast and making it have so many more people and so many more moving parts into season two? Oh, well, I didn't mind it. Uh, I like a a nice, uh, rich ensemble piece. And this is what they did. And I think what what they they nicely segmented into everyone had kind of like two or three characters that they ultimately like kind of pinballed off of throughout the season or revolved around. And then everyone kind of, of course, worked in the bigger arc. So I like the fact that we were able to segment stuff like we had the Bobby and the Nick Blood, I, I just got to call him Nick Blood, <laughs> Nick Blood stuff. And they were tied into Ward. And then we had Sky segment, Colson segment, and then we break off in different parts. So I have to commend the writing team of, of season two, because this is where we see a lot of shows just kind of screw up. We're just like, OK, hey, we did good. Now let's add 20 more people. And you're like, you don't have enough time or, you know on-screen real estate to have all these people on there and i think they did a really nice job of balancing all of that while also killing off some people and shifting <laughs> people in and there's actually people in that, that like had special guest starring roles in episodes we didn't even see and so like that was a there's a lot like the howling commandos Haley atwell dylan minette is in this who was like i'm like 
playing a teenager as he always does. Uh, <laughs> he's he could he's fifty and he's still playing a teenager. He's ageless wonder. But I mean, they they have so many people in here, and it just makes sense. But it's based off comic books, you know. This is how comic books are. Like you have an arc, and you have a run, and you have a lot of different characters coming in and out. So previously on Agents of Shield uh, is our next segment where we talk about what we missed in Woo! this season that we didn't get to because, of course, we only watched eight episodes out of twenty-two. So this rundown is basically covering the opening of the season, the first like uh, eight episodes that we didn't really get into at all. Coulson has been running a covert recruitment drive, trying to consolidate assets from the first iteration of Shield to increase the ranks of Shield two point oh, including the new additions we just reviewed. He's also been hiding the fact that he's compulsively writing alien letters while trying to do his best Nick Fury impression by keeping secrets from his team. May has been training Sky to become combat ready while trying to be Coulson's trusted number two in their fight against Hydra. Speaking of Hydra, Simmons was embedded as a double agent in Hydra's science team because she needed a break from seeing poor Fitz suffer through the brain trauma he experienced saving her life at the end of season one. Fitz hasn't been missing Simmons too much, however, because he's been seeing an imagined version of her to keep him company as he struggles to recapture the engineering mastery he took for granted. He's also befriended Mac, one of Coulson's new recruits, who seems to genuinely believe in Fitz, though he may also have a secret of his own. Fitz's old best friend with a secret, Ward, was literally imprisoned in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s basement while he was claiming to want to help the team due to his devotion to Skye. However, when a scenario occurs that gives him the chance to prove it, he ends up getting free and going rogue and killing his abusive older brother who turned out to be a U.S. senator. <laughs> Reyna has been working with a man who claims to be Sky's true father named Cal, played by Twin Peaks, Kyle McLaughlin. By the way, you better not call her Sky when he's around because he gets real mad about it. He seems to have a bit of a bad temper and is quite jealous of the paternal bond Coulson appears to have developed with Sky. Also, Hydra, far from being foiled last season, are on the hunt for Sky as they attempt to master the art of mind control to get what they want, capturing S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent 33, who used the face mask from Captain America the Winter Soldier to pose as May, and now is stuck that way after the real May kicked her butt and broke her face. <laughs> Given we are dealing with mind control, another member of the team may also be a double agent, but we don't know for sure. Also, this season would be nothing without good MacGuffins. Ours is an artifact known to S.H.I.E.L.D. as the Obelisk, which was recovered from Hydra back at the end of World War II by Peggy Carter and the Howling Commandos, who make a brief guest appearance and flashback early in the season. It had been stored in a warehouse for decades until the evil Dr. Whitehall and his crew stole it, but not before it killed special guest star Lucy Lawless. Oh no! It appears to cause the people who touch it to quickly turn into stone, but Reyna appears to be able to hold it unaffected. Recently, we learned its true name is the Diviner. Our coverage picks up as Coulson and his team have just figured out that his compulsive alien writing isn't a language at all, but actually a map to a secret city underneath Puerto Rico. Whitehall also wants to find the city and believes the Diviner is his key inside. He forms an alliance with Cal, who claims to be an expert on the Diviner, and Ward, whose inside knowledge of S.H.I.E.L.D. will help him prevent Coulson's team from foiling his plans. So, Bill... Now it's time for our Heimdall Memorial Hindsight Corner, where we talk all about what happened in this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're going to start off with the kind of mid-season finale uh, set of episodes that we watched around that ancient city. 
underneath the bones of Puerto Rico. This is what I like about this show. It's this globe trotting nature of S.H.I.E.L.D. where it's just like, yeah, we have like the comic book stuff, but it's also like kind of FBI-esque where they're going into like deep, dark places and secret societies and stuff like that. It's really cool. I like I really like this. And like Clark Gregg, man, the most affable man alive, because the guy has instant chemistry with everyone like Bobby. First time I see her ever. Like, it's like she's been on the show for 10 years. Yeah. Like their whole thing. It's it's fantastic watching watching him work with literally everyone on the show. Yeah. So we start out this episode, uh, like in this set of episodes with uh, the whole like Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. are on race to get to the ancient city, which is always a fun kind of uh, Indiana Jones style oh, dynamic yeah. that we have Love it. running. And the team splits up. We get a good feel for everybody and what the dynamic was. I think that this is a good episode to jump into because everybody takes like a, everybody does the kind of network TV thing where it's like, hey, in case you haven't been watching, here's what our relationship is. <laughs> but I feel like they do it in a way that it feels kind of elegant. Like they're usually always like explaining something to someone else who's also in the room or they make it feel less artificial than it otherwise could be when you're like, hey, sister, come over here. Remember when me and mom used to do this with you when we were kids in California? You know, like it's not quite that bad, <laughs> but they do enough to yeah. give us something. I mean, we got Trip. These are really good episodes for Trip, who is unfortunately uh, doesn't make it out alive. Um, oh. The second episode that we watched, um, but he has a lot of fun with Canings. I'm curious. I don't know if you knew that this was a thing that Patton Oswald plays multiple identical people. I do. How are you feeling about the canings? Is it too much? Is it good? Is it a great use of Patton Oswalt? It's the perfect amount of peppermint <laughs> to the rage solution that courses through Kyle McLaughlin's body. No, I love it. It's just, it's only what he can do. And I don't mean to, I'm not insulting his stature. I'm just saying, is this little spy thing that just happens? He's the guy who's like, the part where he's like whistles to Reina to go this, you know, make a right hand turn if you want to live. And then he's like, then he shows up here. He's doing this thing. He's got lanyards. He's a great little bit of seasoning you could put on anything. Like if you're a chef, it's like, oh, I need to I'm missing an ingredient. Ah, I could just sprinkle this little spice in there and it's perfect. And that's what he's good for. This character is this little piece of spice, this little piece of a little like ounce of flavoring you add to a scene when you need it. And it's wonderfully comedic, or it helps serve the purpose of a plot. So he, it's it's really well done. And having multiples of this character, it's a classic bit of comedy, which I think we're, you know, Patton Oswalt, one of my favorite comedians. So he knows how to make it work. And he's also a big dork. So he's going to, he's not going to fumble the ball and try and like go overboard. He knows exactly what this type of show needs from him. And I think that great fallback for any time, because you're like, oh, well, what do we need in a scene? Caning, yeah, and I agree. I think that they use him just the right amount. Yeah, they could easily have gone overboard, and I have to really commend them for so much stuff they can go overboard with in this first two seasons. They they have a lot of restraint. They really, really do. I mean, we can't get her at Grant Ward. Well, but you know, uh, speaking of Grant Ward, so he's kind of popping up in these episodes, right? He has this whole moment where he boards the Shield plane and kidnaps Sky again, and we get that great moment where Guy turns to him and says, "Maybe you don't remember, but we played this game of let's kidnap Sky before, and it didn't end well for you," <laughs> which was a nice little callback to season one. Um, and uh, by the way, doesn't end well for him again. Uh, how do you feel about the the way that the no. Sky Ward relationship has evolved? A lot of episodes in the beginning of the season were kind of playing 
on this idea of like could could ward really be redeemed is that something that this show is interested in clearly the team is not super interested in redeeming him after what he did but he seems to maybe want redemption maybe he has his own motivations through this whole first half of the season how do you think that it plays in this ultimate kind of moment of climax for his character and his relationship with sky Oh, you mean like when she shoots him multiple times? And I went, yes! Um, <laughs> Without uh, hesitation. <laughs> uh, but that's what I liked about it. It's just like, let's not do this. Let's not be like, well, they're truly meant to be together in the end. And ultimately, he's a hero. Sometimes characters are allowed to be bad guys. And yeah. I am f- much happier with Grant Ward as just a straight up heel as opposed to like a tweener, someone who they can use. Now, there is the one line later in the season where he, let's go with a bad idea. We need Grant Ward. And I was like, Phil, no, you fucking don't. <laughs> no, shut, shut your shut your affable mouth. You do not need Grant Ward. Yeah. Because you've added all these new characters. You can have the rogue within like an, a, a hunter could be a guy who's a loose cannon or maybe he goes or Bobby or someone. You have other people you can use as that chess piece. Let him just be bad. Yeah, that's fine. People don't want to root for him. Don't make fetch happen. <laughs> Season two really tries to see if they can use Ward as this interesting X factor where you never know which side he's going to be on at any point in time. Maybe he could be useful to you, but he's going to screw you over. Maybe he comes in for you when you think that you can't count on him. And tr- they try to mine as much kind of tension and intrigue and mystery from that as possible. And I think that they get about as much as they can and by the end of the season which we'll eventually get to um he's clearly in a different place and i think that that's was the right cause but i don't mind them trying to play out that dynamic for one season i think that it makes sense because truly you know especially where it ends if they had ended it very ambiguously i would have been like what are we doing here guys and we've seen this in other shows too where it's just like oh maybe maybe he's not he's just not a liked character he wants to help the team because he loves Sky and he's he doesn't really care about Shield, but he cares about Sky. So maybe that's a path of redemption. Maybe it's not. We'll see. It kind of climaxes to the point where his love finally extinguishes when uh, she shoots him so many times in the chest. <laughs> I was really I was really proud of her. Yeah, really we do. Uh, and then from that point on, he seemingly doesn't have a purpose for a good quarter of the season, but it becomes clear over time that he actually has a con that he's running um, and that a plan that he has been putting in place where it is not necessarily as uh, as altruistic as it might seem. So I think that that's a pretty good use for him as a character overall. And I think the actor plays the role much better in this mode. He does. He definitely does. I d- just need less of him. I think why they needed Sky to be so final with him, especially with the amount of time she shot him, was because the more important conflict was with her parents, was with her mom. That's where you needed it. She's proven she is a strong, badass S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who then we have to go on this whole new journey with her, which is way more interesting than what this journey. Yeah. And she never hesitated from the second she realized who he was at the end of last season. She never hesitated she didn't want to kill him at the end of last season because she was like in the mode of like i don't want to be a killer by the time that she gets to the point where she does kill him she realizes that keeping him captive is not a plan that he will get out he will cause more death and destruction and so he needs to get put down so there is like an emotional arc for her in that respect but there's never any hesitation in terms of like well he brought me to my my parents so maybe it's okay that no like she knows exactly who she is in relation to this guy and this guy is not 
not going to be her kryptonite. And I think that that was the right choice for the character, as we've said. So I, I like moving on to a different topic in these couple of episodes. We get to see Mac. We get to see his relationship with Fitz. We get to see his relationship with Hunter and with Bobby. Um, and we get to see his relationship with an ancient <laughs> alien temple, which is maybe a less pleasant relationship. Um, what is your impression of Mac in these opening episodes? What do you think about the hinting at a conspiracy? What's going on? Are they Hydra? Do they have this game on the side? What's 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 real? Especially coming off of, you know, we watched Secret Invasion recently, and we won't mm. talk about Secret Invasion directly, but I will say that I think it's interesting timing because this season of S.H.I.E.L.D. really feels like it is trying to, on top of everything else, it's trying to mix in the alien stuff with the sort of, like, conspiracy spy thriller story points where everyone has different motivations you have to question people's like judgment you have to question people's affiliation um it's and then ultimately things get resolved in a way that is interesting and that's something that you would have thought that secret invasion would be interested in doing and they mostly don't so (laughs) how do you think all of that works so uh i'll answer the mac question first because i think mac is like the great tank of the group people don't know what the tank is he's the big muscle bound he's gonna charge through the door he's gonna be the act the guy the man of action but he's also kind of got that this big moral compass to him and i like the fact that his whole thing with bobby i never bought that they were bad also spoiler i have posted every review of this show so i know they last a long time but i never got the sense that they were bad I really didn't. I didn't think they were villains. I thought maybe they were just, there was something going on where there was something in someone's past that they were trying to rectify, like maybe something in Bobby's past that they were trying to clean up. What ended up happening was they're trying to essentially audit and like kind of take over S.H.I.E.L.D. And I think that's one way you can misconstrue Gonzalez is like, oh, he's a bad guy. He's not. His methods are not in line with Phil Coulson's, but his points weren't wrong. He they want to make sure that Shield does never succumbs to what happened previously, and him running it like Nick Fury, and Nick Fury is the guy who's watched Shield fell under. They don't want that to happen again, and that's what I like about Mac because he has a morality to him, which is I feel like is gonna. And I could be wrong. I didn't watch the rest of this show. That I think his moral compass is something that's going to be a great part of his character, and then I. Th- sometimes he forgets it especially when he's like i'm here to hit people first and ask questions later i felt like that was a line that you could respect that right. seemed like a bill bodkin line listen if fucking aliens are taking <laughs> over my house i guess i gotta hit them first before i ask <laughs> questions so i like his character a lot and i i didn't mind the subterfuge of this secondary plot because ultimately it leads to like they kind of dissolve the actual conspiracy but they it, it plays into the question a lot of stuff with may and colson with the way they're doing things it almost is the way to show that like they're coming together as shield because colson realizes why this is done and he's gonna try and do things to try and keep shield together so everyone can be together yeah, I would agree in terms of the Mac and Bobby and Hunter of it all. I, I have more to say about the Gonzalez stuff, but we can get to that later. Oh, he, oh, he's a dick. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. And talking about the new characters, Bobby and Hunter, do they work for you as lovably combative yes. exes? Is that a good dynamic for you? Are they pulling it off? They're doing great. Okay. They're doing great. They would annoy the shit out of me in real life. <laughs> That's how I know great. They would, they work great. They don't annoy me in the show. Yeah. But if, they, if I knew them, I'd be like, it's just either... 
stay together or never be or just be apart forever you know what i mean that's I the reason know. why it's fun on the show but annoying in real life is that if it was in real life you would have to have hour-long phone calls with them every time they break up and that would be really annoying for you i mean <laughs> uh also i don't know if you caught this but a decade before we got the cordyceps zombies in last in the last of us yes i did Agent shield dropped it um to explain what they was did. up with mac when he got possessed by an ancient temple yes i i'm glad you brought that up because I'm like, yeah. look at you guys. Now, I did a little bit of digging just because I was curious. Now, of course, cordyceps and zombie ants, that's a whole thing that, like, people have known. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. not like we learned it all collectively when The Last of Us came out. But I but I do think that it's notable that while this it happened many years before the TV show The Last of Us, it was, I think, like a year and a half after the game The Last of Us came out. So it maybe was somebody in yeah. the writer's room playing The Last of Us was like, hey, maybe we could use this idea. I like it. Speaking of fun guys, Cal and Sky. They finally meet. Uh, <laughs> what we didn't get to watch in the episodes prior to this is that a lot of near misses where Cal and Sky are not quite in the same space at the same time. Cal is very desperate to meet her. Uh, Sky is hearing all of the terrible things that Cal is capable of doing. Uh, finally, they do meet. And I really want to know, dig in for just a couple minutes, like how that scene played for you when the two of them are together. Oh, man, it's Kyle McLaughlin is just uh, fantastic in this. And he I mean, some of the stuff in this is so silly, but man, he, he is invested in every second of it. I love Cal's love for Sky. It's so complicated and, and it has so many layers that's filled with love and rage and sorrow and guilt and regret. It's really wonderful to see. Sometimes the scenes, like sometimes they they don't write. This guy is just like, "You're gross. I hate you." Like that's a lot of her dialogue, which I didn't love because I feel like Chloe Bennett, especially in this season, I think that has a lot of good work to do. And I feel like there's some stuff maybe they could have punched up a little bit in that's the Puerto Rico scenes with that. Her lines were a little too, um, and reactions were a little too generic. And it's not her fault. It's just like those are the lines you're given. Yeah, I think she delivers them well. Like yeah, when she's it's like, just like that. Like those are the bad guys. That makes you a bad guy. And it's just yeah, like I, I feel that, like you. I feel like this character would have said something different to express that same point. But the actor expresses the point very effectively in how she says it. If Agents of Shield season two had a golden book, that would have been a line in it. You know what I mean? Like it was so elementary. Yes. Where you're getting all this more complex work from Cal. Yeah. And Sky is a, is inherently a complex character where I think you could have gotten, there's more, di there's better dialogue within that character than what we got. So what I liked about the scene from her perspective, and this is really conveyed in the body language that um, Chloe Brennan yeah. brings to it, is that she keeps getting close to him because she wants to have that connection even if she doesn't really want to admit that she wants that connection but then every time he makes a slight gesture of rage right anytime that there's like this slight elevation in his voice she backs away ever so slightly and there's this constant like push pull in the way that they're staging the scenes the way that they are walking around the space and then when they finally sit down and they're able to just talk and he kind of breaks down in a way that is that really is just so like lathered in love for her in a way that feels really pure and honest. She it causes her to finally break and she no longer feels afraid of him. And I think that a scene like this on a network TV show doesn't need to be staged like a play where you have all of the block where you have the sort no. of body language and you use the space and everything. But there was really like a careful consideration that maybe wasn't in the script, but that was in how we were going to stage this scene, how we were going to have these actors fill this space in a way that I thought was really elevated for a scene like yeah. that. 
And I do love the payoff of him being pissed at Phil for saving his life. That's great. I love that and how they play into that later when we get into later segments. It's Even fan- before we get there, just like when Cal and Sky finally have like a, a like a moment where they're really on the same page, and then yeah. he gets up and he's like, "All right, uh, I'm gonna go kill the man who uh, murdered my wife." Best day yeah. ever, and it's like, and he means it, and it's so pure and beautiful. Oh. And like, only <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin can can deliver that line like that. Oh my god. If you, if anyone's listening to this and has never watched the first, the original Twin Peaks first two seasons, you owe it to yes. yourself to watch it. And I think, like you mentioned, that like sometimes the stuff that he does is really silly, and sometimes it's really earnest, and like he managed, and like he does a good job. I think, like, I need to make an even like a more emphatic point on that because he is so crazy and over the top in certain things, like just completely goes for it. And other moments, he is just heartbreakingly. Uh, small and and intimate and he manages yeah. to commit fully to all of it and make you believe that is a con- coherent singular person in those scenes where there is a consistency between the most like pure and him just being like so excited to tell his daughter about the day she was born to being a literal like uh, yeah, Dr. Jekyll yeah. and Mr. Hyde monster with a weird accent for one scene for some reason <laughs> like he just goes he just goes yeah, hard a hundred percent and like it's I, I just don't think that anybody there's very few people on the planet who are capable of being that silly and yeah. that funny and that over the top and that campy and that earnest and sincere and emotionally vulnerable all in the same character. That's like I oh, like watching this season. I'm just like, man, if this was out within the last five to ten years on FX right now and they were get allowed to be a little edgier with this show, we'd be this thing would be yeah. a fucking runaway hit. Like, especially with him in this role, I think they would have turned the, the cartooniness down a little bit, got a little darker, still kept the humor. And I think you people would be like, this is like Emmy worthy performance, blah, blah, blah. Like, I feel like at times this show just <laughs> it's funny because I didn't watch it, but I feel like this show really got this like kind of brushed aside. And there's like a lot of really good work happening here on so many levels. We haven't even gotten to Ruth Nega of it all. And she is excellent in this so, set of episodes. Let me talk about the well, well before she has her transformation. <laughs> we'll talk about the great dynamic that she has with Sky. Like oh. this is how you know she's like an Oscar caliber actor because she can silently walk through a fake uh, corridor holding a, a flashlight and look like astonished and in awe and, and and in so so much anticipation like just like total like back black box theater level acting and she nails it like she makes yeah. walking down that empty room seems like the most compelling and exciting intense thing that could possibly happen um i really love her in these scenes and i think it, it helps underscore the tragedy of what ultimately comes later in the season but what did you think about this like the actual being in the ancient temple the sort of the tension of it the everything else oh. that's Oh, man it's funny like like you said it's like black box but also evokes like old hollywood mummy yeah it's indiana jones shit it absolutely is yeah and i love that type of stuff and i love that trip gets involved in it and like there's so much being talked about about who's who and about deserving to be like they're talking around everything that's just about to happen and then when it does happen you're like oh my god what is going on and poor trip man he- I know, like, they replace him with a couple different characters, but he was a really good addition to that show. So it's like, well, it's a bummer that he's not in it anymore, but man, what a way to go out. 
what a way to go out and what a way to serve as this harbinger yeah. of guilt uh like the embodiment of guilt for sky about who she is which allows everyone in the afterlife to kind of manipulate her her mom really to manipulate her into doing this and it's all based off a trip and Howell really guts the team to the next episode which is you told me uh, we would like to entitle this episode everyone in their feels because everyone was fucking pissed and I like that because I'm like, good. It's not just everyone's crying. This is a, these are fucking alphas who want to go out there, and some of them want blood, some of them want change, some of them are just want to fucking be sad. And like, it's it felt pretty human, <laughs> you know. It felt real. It didn't feel like a just show. This felt like a group of people who watched someone die, and now the person that they love and trust in Sky is kind of the reason he's dead. Right. So now how do we trust them? And then there's a lot of people who don't know her. They're like, I don't know, just fucking kill yeah. her, you know? And that kind of runs parallel with Gonzalez. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I think that it, I hate to see a character get disposed of for other people's motivation. You know, I think like that is obviously when it comes to oftentimes like female character love interest gets fridged, right? That's the terminology just to motivate other people. But I think that when you use a death to motivate not just one person, but to motivate an entire cast to act in ways that are really intense and understandable, I think that that is good writing. And I think that that is good writing here. Like the Chip character was really strong. I thought he was very charismatic. I thought he brought a lot to the team. But I think that his that because of that, his death hits really hard and it forces characters to be in positions that they would never otherwise be in. Like we see Simmons really acting out of character in a way. And when this show first yeah. came out, when it aired originally, a lot of people were critical of that choice of saying like, well, this is just kind of contrived or making her be so out of character uh, just to make Sky feel upset and nervous to be in the, the, like for her secret to be come out. But when I watched it a second time, the thing that really stood out to me was like, no, like she had a really strong relationship with Trip. Like they were really playing that mm. love triangle thing for the whole half of second half of season one and, and the first half of season two. Um, they never really consummate that relationship, but it's clear that by the time that he passes away, that that is a very, very important person to her personally. And it would make sense that she would feel that guilt and that shame that she feels like her enthusiasm for learning about alien biologies and superpowered people, that that was reckless yeah. and that got the person that she cares so much about killed. And now she's angry and she's lashing out at everybody. And But in a way that also is very like self-blaming. And I thought that was really great like that was so honest and such a real way that people would respond in the situations and yeah it's used to help generate a lot of plot stuff in the season but that's good that's like the point right if it feels emotionally honest and can generate plot and tension that's what you're supposed to be doing on a show like this yeah when she when at one point where she's like hey if you gotta kill reina then kill reina like it's just like how could she say that i'm like well, I guess you've never lost anything. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's just like, and I get it. I mean, we're just like, well, that's, that's, that's patient zero. Then our job as shield is to shield the world from this. So we can't have this happen. And like, I, yeah. And if you think about her specifically, like yeah. Fitz was her person and Fitz has been completely broken. And their relationship has been at this oh, point, completely is, yeah. shattered by the events of season one that, and that she feels a lot of, unreasonable guilt and around and now on top of that which has not at all been resolved for her trip dies and she is blaming herself for trip's death too that's i mean that's enough to break anybody and make them lash out yeah 
we'll get to people lashing out. Absolutely. Now, what did you think about the kind of emergence of Sky as a superpower being obviously her identity as Quake? You knew that that wasn't a surprise it. to you this many years later. But how do you how did you feel it was executed um, in this in this early scene where she's finally starting to understand a little bit about her powers, but she's like terrified of it? Like, how do you think that that worked? I think it works well. I mean, it, it it doesn't feel dissimilar from anything I've seen in Marvel before. Uh, when people discover powers, I mean, anything from anyone in X Men to Peter Parker to you name it, insert character here. I felt it felt very truthful, and I felt like her discovery of her powers and all this stuff led to the death of someone she mm-hmm. cares about. Trip is her friend. Her discovery of her powers led to that, much like Peter's. You know what he did ends up leading to the death of uncle Ben. And if you want to go to miles, the death of his uncle. And so now you have her who has the tragedy. So that again, when we're talking about the, we're glad we cut off ward from her, but now we have this new, she's so vulnerable that allows it not only her, but us to accept that she's reunited with her mom and her mom is going to do what's best for her. And she's going to have, yeah, I also just really liked the beat that they found at the end of episode 11 between her and Fitz, where Fitz gets to kind of realize what's going on. And then they have that emotional moment where she tells him how she feels like she's broken and there's something terribly wrong with her. And he, who has been going on this journey of coming to terms with his own limitations following the incident at the end of season one and basically we get bits and pieces of it but the long and the short of it is that he's still a brilliant uh physicist uh engineer things come slower to him now uh it takes more time he, he and also he has a hard time articulating things he when he came out of it uh, he couldn't talk at all and he's been gaining that verbal ability back but it's challenging and sometimes he's in positions where he has he knows exactly what he wants to say and he physically can't say it and so he empathizes with her in that moment and said and i think the show doesn't overplay it in a way that they absolutely could have by just letting him say like you're just different you're not broken you're just different now and there's nothing wrong with that and that's a moment where he as a character is really accepting himself by accepting her and that is beautiful and i just i think that that's there's that's what happens when you have the time to pay off relationships with characters over this many episodes you can have a really touching moment like that yeah, and Fitz and, and Daisy slash Sky are they're not like they're hanging out all the time. They're not like bound at the hip. So that's why I think that even works even more because it's just like, oh, well, he's yeah. going to do whatever Simmons says. And- One thing that we didn't talk about was in episode 11, the whole plot to uh, to get all to kill all of Hydra's leadership um, by tricking them into thinking that Bakshi was was free. Uh, I'd love for you to talk to me for a few minutes oh, about your experience so of good. the "You'll never take us alive" oh, moment by Clark Gregg. Oh. <laughs> I loved everything, man. I loved all that stuff. I love the the spycraft of it all. Where you never take us alive, he gets shot. I'm like, well, we know he didn't die there. Because like when May gets shot, I'm like, okay, like I can buy that she yeah, gets shot. Like she's not dead, but maybe she's injured. Yeah, she'll be fine. So initially, when I'm watching the scene, they're just talking. I'm like, oh, this is all a setup. And then when they get rammed into the, the warehouse, I'm like, oh, maybe this is not a setup because that's definitely injuries <laughs> happening right there. It's like someone's yeah. concussed. And then 
then they start shooting. I'm like, oh, well, that's definitely. And she throws a grenade, essentially. I'm like, oh, that's definitely not. That's, that's definitely. Uh, yeah, that was a good moment, too, where she's like, okay, there's two two on the left, two on the right. Uh, you know what that means? And she and he's like, no, I don't know what that means. And she, like, leaps over the car, shoots the two people. And, she's like, and then she's it. like, she walks back around. And she's like, that's what that means. <laughs> I, I'm going to do that. That's what that means. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was, and it was great. And I loved, I love the whole subterfuge where they're able to just convince them and they all end up, including former New York giant Fred Dreyer. Of course. Uh, gets, but also I got to say, like, he gets shot in the head. Like, point blank range. <laughs> eight, eight o'clock. There's a lot By, of blood Well, in, season. in season two, they moved to nine o'clock, and I think you can see the difference. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, because, like, holy shit, he, got, he took it right in the yeah. dome, man. And I love that. And that's like, yeah, okay, I'll give you this one, Alex. I wish they had done something like that in Secret Show. That was awesome. Like, that was yeah. a really cool plan. It was really good. It was really good. And, and oh God, again, if the show had not been kind of a redheaded stepchild, no offense to any of our redheads out there, that scene should be the most talked about thing because it was so great. And it's just like, that should be, that's like the Daredevil hallway fight. It's just like so well done, but we don't Except for Lance Hunter's American accent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're going to go over here with me? Like <laughs> I mean, I love that even yeah. more. It's just so bad. It's just like, I'm going to shoot you. All right, you can pay me, sir. And you're like, At least Bobby makes fun of him for well, it. That I needed that moment. So that way we can all should. be on the same page. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Okay, skipping ahead episodes where the team slowly learned that Sky had a secret and she feels stigmatized and runs away, connecting with good old No Eyes himself, Gordon, uh, who eventually <laughs> takes her to someplace that oh, she thinks is safe. Uh Meanwhile, while all of that is happening, uh, we find out that Mac and Bobby's big secret that they've been hiding this whole time is that they are, as we've alluded to, actually undercover as the quote unquote real shield, which will send a shiver down all of the spines of people who actually watch this at the time. Because <laughs> this plotline, not the most well-received thing that the show has ever done. Uh, because, uh, of course, the real shield is a group of other shield leaders who survived the fall of shield and think Coulson is an unhinged person who can't be trusted. Uh, they're led by, as we've said, Edward James Olmos. And it's a great idea in theory, in my opinion, but it's a big swing and miss in execution. Because a lot of people taking Coulson mm -hmm reckless heroics out of context and painting him as a villain uh is just kind of boring because like we know he's not bad and i don't think they really do enough to sell us on the idea that they should think that they he don't. might be one episode that we don't watch though um which i think is a shame we had to make some cuts but there is an episode and if you want to go back and watch it where we get the full backstory and it actually is kind of cool it's bobby and mac and gonzalez are on the ship as hydra is taking over and they ask the question basically like what would it be like if you were stuck on an airplane carrier, uh, you know, in the middle of the ocean and half of your crew is Hydra <laughs> and they all try to kill you at once. And it's a pretty cool action sequence. It's just that it's intersected with a lot of like the, them taking over the base here and, and being like, oh, it is bad and whatever. And it's I think it's just all dumb. But that's the sequences in flashback are pretty cool. I think the only person who ever sells that Colson recklessness is Mac. Like, it's just you're playing it to be contrarian at that point. It is a weakness in this season where they're like, oh, well, he's bad. He's reckless. And it's like, well, you didn't we didn't earn that to have that distrust in Phil Coulson because he's the hero of the show here. It's just like, oh, well, you're just not doing the, the way procedurally that we like. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're keeping secrets from us and you won't tell us what it is. And so, like, here's the I did like the Fury's toolbox. I liked I like the the the. 
the stuff involving Fitz in that I think was like fun. Sure. But yeah, ultimately but we, we like... skipped over a lot of episodes without the fun stuff <laughs> because it's just a real pet peeve of mine in, in stories like this is if the conflicts could be resolved with all of the people sitting down and having one conversation then it's not a good conflict and that is ultimately what it is and finally when colson rejoins the team and he sits down and has a conversation they resolve it like immediately and you're just like okay so then why did we just wait waste seven episodes and what it really felt like in the moment was that we needed to delay the inhuman stuff to the end of the season and this is a good way to kind of spin our wheels for a a couple of episodes and like that never feels good when you're watching a tv show to feel like well we're in the stalling part of the season (laughs) so there's some highlights there but i think ultimately it's it's a mistake but by the time we pick back up in afterlife we're at a point where at least a lot of the team is kind of working against the real shield people may is kind of getting co-opted by them but in a way that is making us have more empathy for them they don't necessarily feel like villains anymore they feel like they're people who are just maybe need to have a conversation and at the same time we're meeting the Inhumans, led by Jai Yang and our guy, Lincoln, played by Luke Mitchell. All of that stuff is a similarly parallel story of people that were like, are, we think we can trust these people, but maybe not. And and then we find out that actually the people that we were most skeptical of, maybe we should have trusted and the people that we weren't skeptical enough of, maybe we should have. What did you think about meeting afterlife, meeting the Inhumans, getting to know a little bit about their society, getting to have a sense of jai ying and her relationship with sky in these two episodes the afterlife stuff takes a deduction because we really don't see any other real inhumans there's like there's as you so elegant put him no eyes jones like we don't even know what uh our our like you know dreamboat doctor who i'm sure sky and him will have many forlorn looks in the future like we really don't know what he does until much later but it's just like we don't really see anyone else having powers it's like here's it's like kind of this way station for people with powers and people waiting to get powers like mm-hmm. give me a little i felt like because i have read like um for people who don't know like miss marvel is a lot to do with inhumans and the terrigen mist so i'm like there's more here that we could have told and then like the giant stuff like i kind of figured that was her mom and i felt like the stuff with her and her mom i think is really strong because the actress who portrays her is just like like i mean gosh they look like they could be oh really yeah they <laughs> i mean they picked yeah. a great job and that's a casting um lachlan who uh many people might know Since she was she's most recently on severance she plays a therapist who has a mysterious background yes. on severance uh she was also in uh <laughs> she played a kind of like bounty hunter in uh, jurassic world dominion um but the reason why she likely got the job on this show is because she had a pretty prominent role on dollhouse which was the show that um, Marissa Tankerin and Jet and Jed Whedon worked on just prior to this. So and that was there's a lot of Dollhouse alums that kind of pepper the Agents of Shield ranks. Yeah, I I liked her in this, and I also love the Raina stuff. I think she's fantastic. I think she's she has great. such an interesting energy to the scenes that she brings in. There's this serene quality that she can bring that that both feels genuine and there's also like just tinged with potential menace and she can just dial it back and forth in just really very strong ways i think i think she's really talented and and after watching her in this it made me uh, it reminded me of how much i liked her in this in this season and how bummed i was that she didn't get to do more uh Mm. in the years since i got really excited when i saw her on severance because severance is such like a big show and people a lot of people watch it and like i really hope that that opens more doors for her 
because she should she she's really cool she's also incredibly beautiful and just stunning like if you've ever seen her on a red carpet it's just like wow and she's australian i believe as well she's got a cool accent in real life um so uh, I just I love her and I and I think this is an excellent showcase of all the things that she can do. I also love the Raina stuff here. The Raina stuff, just the story with her and he just where she's buying into more and more who she is and what her actual power is. It's not being like like JV Lady Deathstrike. It's <laughs> being it's being this clairvoyant an actual clairvoyant yeah after searching uh, for the clairvoyant all of season one right and being totally disenchanted that their d didn't exist she was the clairvoyant all along they really played into that and i i just love the fact that she became the wild card character can we trust you or can't we trust you and i really think that was the one of the the best characters of this season because also Ruth is a great actress. Yeah, obviously. she's fantastic. She's, she kills her scenes season. with Kyle MacLachlan are just incredible. But I do agree that the the inclusion of this kind of um, having clairvoyance, having the ability of prophecy, is just a really smart thing to give the character who is the most deceitful and duplicitous person. Because you have this underlying tension of. Now that she's gotten what she wanted, which is this power and being part of this community that she's been searching for, is she changing? Is she willing to kind of lean on the side of the angels or is she just manipulating like she always does? And you ultimately, it, it it's a very believable conflict that Sky has to ultimately figure out, is this real or not? And it's just really smart use of what you've set up in the last two seasons. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I really, I really, I think that's one of the strongest parts of the season. Some other stuff that happens that are cool in these two episodes. Number one, we get a return of Mike Peterson. He shows back up. Uh, He's got some upgrades. So his, his costume isn't as bulky and and annoying to get in and out of. I I love that scene. I love that scene. (laughs) That was fun. He's also in a couple of other episodes that we skipped over where he basically gets kidnapped by Hydra again. Oh, so sorry. Um, But the appearance that we got, I think was, was just enough. I also really liked, you mentioned earlier, the stuff with Fitz in the toolbox. I loved the dynamic that he has with Simmons in that scene where it is completely plausible that they're having one conversation, but they're really having a different conversation. And if you watch it again, they're playing totally fair with the audience. Like everything that they're saying is coded in a way and you get just enough that if you're paying close enough attention, they're actually pulling it off. And it's, it's really great. I love that. Oh, I got that. I got that immediately. And I'm usually pretty dense. But I got, and I listen, self-admitted, but like I just watching them because you just see how she, I I, I tend to watch Simmons a lot when she's on screen. And so just the look in her eye when they're doing that, I'm like, they're going to, he's going to take this and she knows he's taking it. She's asking him to take it. And I love that. That's like, that's what's great about it is like, she's literally asking him to take it by saying what everyone else in the room thinks is the opposite of what she's saying. I also love the three musketeer relationship of uh hunter of fitz and and colson they're really fun together they don't get a ton together but it's we're hanging out way too much guys like it it's it's good stuff yeah one of the episodes that we skip over is a real like the two the three of them uh together on the road and it is pretty they have a really fun dynamic the three of them Something that's less of a fun dynamic is the is uh, the dynamic that poor Melinda May has with that inhuman child in Bahrain. Uh, so 
Bill, we had two seasons, basically, of build-up to what happened in Bahrain. She's the cavalry. She hates that nickname. She's clearly been traumatized by something. We never, all we ever know is that she went into a into a building and she took out like a whole room full of people all by herself and saved a bunch of agents. And mm. for some reason, that's emotionally triggering. We finally get the backstory here. How did that work for you? So for a second, when they were talking about when actually when it's uh, Jaying is like kind of narrating part of that story. I'm just like, wait, is is could maybe an inhuman like for a second? I thought that and I'm gl- one. I'm glad they didn't do that. But when we get to the actual moment, when we get to the reveal that it's the girl and they had set it up earlier that she her and Blair Underwood's character were trying to be parents to probably what is the best looking child in history it's it's really heartbreaking to see this whole thing happen and it's so effective and it's like again that not that that move of it's a marvel show and that is that is some of the hardest edgiest stuff any marvel property is gonna do and it just breaks your heart to watch it and you now have this new understanding of may and why she is the way she is. And I think they, the way they tell it and how she moves to the desk, that's why we find her there in the beginning. That's why she is, you know, so cut off from people and why she's kind of acting the way with Colson in certain respects. Yeah, that, that scene's tough to get through, but it's done so well because that is one of the creepiest villains. That's a, that's a top Marvel villain right there because she's just like, just give me your hand. And she's just killing people as they walk past her. It's a lot, and I think they did a really great job with it. Yeah, it's so much to process, and they really keep you on the hook for a long time where you think you know exactly what's going on, and you think, oh, I guess something bad happened to the girl, yeah. and then they, and they really wait. I When I rewatched it this time, I was surprised how long they wait to show you what's actually going on. Very long. And Very when they long. do, it's just such a gut punch, and knowing that she, ha- and when she, when she's backing up and backing up and is just saying, like, please just, please just stop, like, like she's so incredible in that moment. And then, and then she touches the gun and you know, what's going to happen. And you're just like, Oh my God, she has, that's what, that's what it did. She had to kill this little girl. And that's what ruined her for the next like five years of her life. And it's like, of course, of course that's what did it. Like it's, it's brutal. It really is. And I, and I love that. Like even Colson didn't know exactly what happened. Like he thinks that she's upset that she failed to save the girl. Only Andrew, only her husband knew the truth that she it was the one who had to kill the girl and that that's what it was like. it And the fact that she through everything that her and Colson have been through together, hadn't told him the truth of what was going on like that is pretty remarkable. And it shows just how deep that shame is that she felt in that moment. So after that pretty rough a series of events that we saw with the excellent Ming-Na Wen, we decided to skip a couple of the episodes between Melinda and the end kind of run of the season. During that time, uh, we find out that Coulson uh, decides to come back into the fold, but still won't reveal all of his secrets, at least until Age of Ultron happens, when it is revealed that Coulson's Theta Protocol, which is the big kind of conspiracy of like, he's spending so much money and going all around the world. What is he doing? What is Theta Protocol? Turns out Theta Protocol was the helicarrier that showed up to help Nick Fury and the Avengers, um, and which resolved the S.H.I.E.L.D. Civil War 
as it turned out, as Gonzalez says, hard to argue with a man who prevented Ultron from killing thousands of people. And my God, listening to Edward James almost say the name Ultron just really made my day. Uh, <laughs> that's a man who fully knows what he's talking about <laughs> when he says Ultron. He's, he does his absolute best to sell that as if that's a real person to him. And that was wonderful. So basically, we skipped that. One of the big episodes that we missed was episode um, 19, uh, which leads up to the 2021-22 that we watch, obviously. Um, and that is Ward has kind of rejoined the team temporarily because he is the expert on Hydra, and he, but he's also angry with Hydra. Oh, that's the, 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 the line that audibly <laughs> made me say at one o'clock in the morning in my bedroom. Oh, fuck you, Phil. <laughs> you don't fucking need a bet. Let's get a bad option. Winnie Grant Ward. So I did. Fucking, I actually watched. I watched episode 19, even though I didn't ask you to. Um, and what I will say is there is a fun moment where basically Ward is like, hey, guys, can't we just all like get along? And like, you know, I everybody knows like I had like a bat like my I had an abusive brother and everybody is like just get sending him daggers is like and then may says we all had trauma none of us became psychos <laughs> because of it and uh they just have no time for him and so it's like this nice kind of moment of of uh of catharsis i think for the audience where all of our faves have no interest in redeeming ward at all and in fact one of them during that episode tries to kill him um and in, and and that is of course simmons who when she gets she volunteers to be part of that mission um under false pretenses with the entire uh uh, the entire focus of when she gets an opportunity to uh, blow Ward up with a bomb. Um, and she actually gets an opportunity and takes it, but Bakshi, who was kind of set up as like a Hydra second in command in other episodes that we didn't watch, get, kind of uses the mind control powers against uh, Bakshi and mind controls him into being loyal only to Ward. And so then he jumps in front of the bomb and gets killed uh, by Simmons instead. So that's kind of some of the stuff that we miss. But that is all happening at a Hydra compound that Dr. List, who uh, works with Baron Von Strucker from Age of Ultron, uh, is is running uh, experiments on. And uh, basically, uh, Coulson gets... Uh, some covert information and and hands it over to Maria Hill uh, via uh, Skype um, and uh, and and then it's Age of Ultron so that's the stuff that we missed um, instead we're focusing completely on a now unified Shield uh, having to figure out what to do with these Inhumans who are just trying to be left alone uh, thanks a lot Agent Gonzalez um, but anyway. In the episodes that we missed, we find out more about the premonitions that uh, Reina has. It's basically when we find out that she has these premonitions is on the episodes that we missed for the most part. And also Ward and Agent 33. Wouldn't you know it, those crazy kids fell in love um, and <laughs> and Ward tries to get her sure. uh, back in the good graces of S.H.I.E.L.D., we think, because he wants her to have a normal life. But of course, that's not the case. So, Bill, uh, that's all the stuff that happened before these episodes. We have Scars and we have SOS Part 1 and Part 2. How do you feel about this big conclusion? The family rupturing. Uh, we got Chai Ying's heel turn. Uh, we got Cal getting his a redemption arc. And we got Ward and Bobby and Agent 33 and Hunter and May. Let me, uh, my new philosophy of life is let me get the negative out of the way first and then end with the positive. So one thing I felt like, and I could have gotten, and I did watch the episode late at night. The final moment before we have like our, our epilogue here is uh cal you know kills jay ying and then we have the ha hand cut off by mac colson gets his hand cut off i really didn't like the sequence of that because to me it's like while the him getting the axe to the hand is 
what a shocking moment. Then, you know, you know, Fitz actually, you know, accidentally killing Graham. Gordon. And that whole Gordon, sorry. I thought his name was Graham. Never mind. No eyes Gordon. Uh, Come on, Bill. <laughs> no eyes Gordon. But the emotion was really the family part of it. And I felt like having that not as the final thing we see before the epilogue kind of derails it a bit. And I felt like there was just a little bit of like, I felt when Kyle McLaughlin's like, I'm going to take the pain. And then he, even when he breaks her back, I felt just, it didn't have the oomph at the end. Like that should have been the final thing we see because it's like sky is almost killed by her mom. Her, her dad has to kill the one. And he knows he even admits he's like, yes, she has manipulated me, but I love her. I don't care. And he's like, but the thing he loves the most in this world is his daughter. And he has to save her. I think that's the more important story to end with before we go into, well, Max is going to stay with S.H.I.E.L.D. and this is going to happen. Here we're setting up for episode well, three. I would have rather have seen it that way because it would. I think it would have. I think that's the more important story of the two like final actions. I agree with you that that is the more important thing. And I think that's why the actual finale ends on that note with us having that final scene between Cal, who has now had his mind wiped and is able to have a normal life, and the newly named Daisy kind of having a, a sweet goodbye. I think that that is the final moment of this whole season because that relationship is what's most important. Yeah. And I think they probably just wanted to kind of space out those really intense beats because it's a lot all okay. at once, right? It's it's the conflict with the mom. It's him saving her by killing the mom. And then it's also her having this beautiful goodbye in the hallway as as uh, Cal is being taken away and says, like, I hope you come visit me sometime. I'm so, I'm so happy that you were here. Like, these great lines that just, like, totally break your heart. And then there's the final goodbye when she sees that he is happy and yeah. he's okay. So, like, there's three separate moments between her and Cal throughout that last, yeah. like, seven or eight minutes and i think if you made them all be like densely I, together it would kind of be like well, what was the point of the whole rest of the show then you know like there's no there's no space for anything else then so i think like it made sense to kind of space it out a little bit but i do get what you're saying with that and i don't think you're wrong were you surprised by him getting his hand chopped off kelson getting his hand chopped off oh yeah i was like what <laughs> i was like again i wasn't expecting that because i saw him catch it i'm like wait what and then it, the axe comes down it's a great just like cut the black, and I'm just like I was like, wow, that that's good because I felt the Fitz stabbing uh, No Eyes Johnson. Like I, I didn't feel like that. It didn't, on, that didn't how, could, hit. how could you forget Gordon the, after the I, excellent I, I, after the excellent exchange that he has with Mac, where he pops up into oh, no, the no, room no. and Mac goes, "Oh, you're Gordon, right?" And he goes, "Yeah, you are." And he goes, "I'm the guy the that kills Gordon," <laughs> which is an awesome I I, Mac I moment. Like and then of course he doesn't, but you know. But yeah, it's fits, and I, it, it didn't. That didn't hit for me. But well, the axe definitely hit for me because that was a that was a great moment. But the whole the the final two episodes are awesome, man. I, I re, oh, final three, I should say that we're watching here. They're so great. I mean, the Reina stuff. Uh, God, that bridge scene is so good. Here's hyperbole, probably me just exaggerating. That scene could have gone on for another five minutes. Oh yeah, because just. Them together, just mm -hmm. a dialogue back and forth, and you're just like, she, who's gonna kill who? It's so good. It's just these two. It's just like two A plus players just, just just having this moment here. Again, you're allowing. Again, just we don't see this a ton in Marvel shows these days. It's just like, let's let the actors yeah. act. 
and has had these moments. I mean, we saw a little bit in Secret Invasion. We saw some actors getting to act. It just happens to be the story around it was crumbling. Marvel movie studios has a habit of of really struggling to land really strong, interesting female characters. There's a handful throughout the sure. 15 years that we've gotten. But you look at this show. This show is just exploding with them, and it's just and a scene like that where oh, yeah. it's Reina and it's and it's Jaying and it's Sky oh, onto the side, Jai-ing. and it's three incredibly like strong characters with a lot of complex emotional interior life we don't know where anybody necessarily stands the morality of it all is very complicated and messy and it's just an excellent scene it's like it's not that hard guys you know i mean maybe it helps that uh marissa tankeran is the co-showrunner of this show uh but this show it has an excellent reputation for really giving its female actors a lot of great stuff to work with servicing up a lot of really compelling female characters and i think the end of this season is is a great example of why and not to the detriment of any of the male characters either the male characters also get a lot of great stuff to do you know the one character that i wasn't sold on throughout most of the stuff we watched was bobby because we don't get a lot of time with her but the stuff here with her and ward in 33 i mean like if you ever needed to yeah. sell if she was tough i mean they <laughs> more than sold that and how clever she, and, and i kept thinking i'm like man is she just gonna like pull her you know she's just gonna rip out of those handcuffs yeah. and kick them <laughs> and she did and like i thought like the um, the fight sequence was really well done if we you know if we want to go back to our you know defender saga our hallway fight yeah. scene I haven't brought up any of the fight sequences yet just because we have a whole segment for that at the end. But they're, uh, overall, this the fight sequences this season are significantly better than season one. But no, but except, I mean, the the the, the nail gun through <laughs> Ward's foot was great. Uh, but I, I just, everyone got their moment to shine. Yeah. They really, really did. Even, you know, uh, Lightning Hands Johnson, he uh, he gets a couple moments where he's just like, "Hey, I'm a good guy," and I'm just he like, "He does oh, get completely so wrecked in the head <laughs> as well," which was pretty funny by Mac. Yeah, I I I appreciated it, uh, but yeah, overall, I, I I thought it was a really strong ending, and and it, but as much as anyone had, like you already mentioned this, Kyle McLaughlin really takes yeah the final episode, and he like that's the lasting impression of this season. It's is, just. It's all the things he does well, all at the same, and in the, and he does a lot of things well, and yeah. the show lets him do all of them, and it's just like there's a sequence in this episode, in these in these the set of episodes where he is like full on like crazy makeup, go like like lumbering down a hall giddily looking like a giant ape with his arms kind of out and everything just like ha ha like and he's, and he's as he's going to commit wanton murder and then there's another and then he can have this like incredibly heartbreaking scene where he tells his daughter that he loves her and you believe it and you and you know that he means it when he says like you know yeah. you're better than i imagined and i imagined you perfect but you are way more interesting than that like that scene makes me cry every time i see it because you have two great actors just completely crushing and i really thought that you know i thought that chloe bennett really brought it she really rose to the level of the scene partners that she had in this and i definitely think she that did. she oh, yeah. stands shoulder to shoulder to him in all of these sequences but he just just breaks your heart um, when he's not trying to break your back <laughs> Did you like the fact they wiped his memory? They met and blacked him and wiped his memory and gave him a happy kind ending? Of... Or did you want to see him? Did you want to see him in like so, jail? Well, I think it's kind of wild that they're just like, well, we used the Tahiti project on him. So that way now he's fine physically and he doesn't remember anything that happened. Um, I, 
I think it's a really nice way out of a very difficult situation for them because by the time that you get here, they basically have compellingly made the argument that he he did a lot of things wrong but he did guy. the things that were wrong for the right reasons he was a broken person who was not just lashing out at the world because of what was taken from him but being kind of manipulated by a person who was even more traumatized than he was and i think that they and by doing it this way they don't let him off the hook they're not saying like well you came around so all is forgiven what they're saying is you're getting a fresh start you know, person who you were, person who did all those bad things, uh, we're just going to remove that from you. So you don't get to have your happy ending with your daughter. You don't get to have the thing that you that you used to justify all of the terrible things that you did. But you do get to have another yeah. chance uh, to see what kind of man you're going to be. And we're going to watch you. And, and if you start they... fucking up with those dogs, we're going to find out. But we're going to give you that chance to live the life that you should have gotten <laughs> but to. Uh... And I think that that's kind of beautiful. Yeah, but somehow they're also like, hey, but we're going to leave you these skills so you could I be mean... a vet. And here's like a small business loan so you could open up your own veterinary shop and animal shelter. Listen, Bill, don't ask too many questions. <laughs> I, 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 I liked it. I was just like, good. Because also it's like you're going to have that thing in the back of your mind. It's like, well, we could always break him out for pre for the next season. And no. it's like, and no, we're and not. I don't want to spoil anything, else. but he never comes back. That's the end for him. That's the, that he is. I know he does. Goodbye. Yeah, and I, I think that's a beautiful goodbye. I, I also, fine. so here's what I think that became very interesting to me in these final seat episodes is in season one. I think a lot of people had some issues with the way in which the show is depicting the idea of the index of collecting these powered people and putting them on a list and as if that is a good thing to do and it was just kind of taken for yeah. granted in season one that that was a good thing to do um and i think that by the end of this second season they really come to terms with that in a subtle way maybe they could have been stronger but i think they make a pretty compelling point by the end that whatever the future holds for shield we're not indexing people we're not creating just one giant list of metahumans and like having them be tracked by the government forever that that is maybe not the morally right thing to do and i think like we saw this in a lot of netflix shows the idea of like the villain has a point right maybe and we see this in some of the marvel movies as well like mm -hmm. like most infamously in black panther where uh, t'challa really internalizes the pain that Killmonger has and the critique that Killmonger has. And he basically does change the policy of Wakanda to a more open place. He does take responsibility in a way that Killmonger said that he should have. Uh, he just does it without killing uh, millions of people like Killmonger wanted. And I think here we have the same sort of thing where I do feel like the people, the shield has been changed by this. I do think that the impulse to just tag all of the superpowered people and just like treat it like that is an innocuous thing. Uh, I think that they earnestly were trying to come to terms with that within this context. Uh, how did that work for you? Well, it's frustrating because it's... Am I giving them too much credit? Maybe because, I, and I'm just talking out loud it's because it's like this was the whole problem in Winter Soldier. Like they had the helicarriers, and this was part of. I mean, oh, I'm going to confuse my storylines. Like, where they were. Operation Insight. Yeah, where they were going to, you know, okay, we're going to take out Stephen Strange and we're going to take out all these people we consider to be threats or future threats. Okay. Yeah. We didn't like that. Yeah. Okay. It, you're doing the same thing. And uh -huh. you're continuously <laughs> doing the same thing. And it's just like, oh, well, you have the Avengers. They're helping you. So super, like, I get the point of just like, all right, like, we have to keep tabs because, like, who knows what's going to happen. 
one, you have the Avengers that you can call at any time to help you. And two, it's like you literally are just continuing what Hydra wanted to do, but like just the paperwork version of it. Yeah, it was just the idea of like, well, it's just totally innocuous and neutral. We're just fine. We're just logging all these people. That way, if they do something wrong, we can help. And if they don't do anything wrong, then there's no cost. And yeah, and Gonzalo uh, says it right there. Exactly. He's he's like, yeah, and if you get out of hand, we're going to kill you. Right. It's just like, like, I thought that that scene between Gonzalez and Jaying was really, really strong. And I think that for me, I watched that scene and I'm like, okay, she shouldn't kill him, but he's wrong. Like, he is objectively wrong. She is correct, and she has lived long enough. She has lived thousands of years, whatever, hundreds of years. She's lived long enough to know that every time people make a list of people who might be a problem, like, things go bad. But I think they need to have a stronger stance on it, a, bit, a stronger stamp, because you think about the history of Marvel, we're talking about X-Men, mm-hmm. we talk about all this other stuff, where it's just, like, government agencies hunting um, special people. Yeah. So S.H.I.E.L.D., this version of S.H.I.E.L.D. needs to be like, no, that's not us. I don't know, the whole thing with, with Daisy at the end where she's like, you can't let people know about my powers and stuff. I'm just like, I'm still digesting that. I'm just like, is, you know, is, like, is that the right way to do things? Like, I just think they needed to make a bolder statement, just like the index is wrong. Right. Well, I think what she, when she's saying, like, our people should be left alone so please don't like we can't let everyone know that this exists i feel like that is her yeah. making a, a, a statement not about the index but about trying to respect the culture that she realizes that she is now a part of right and understanding the danger she's the that it is what i will tell you is that season three pretty much makes that impossible because what we see at the very end of season two is the Terrigen crystals wow. get into the ocean and they get into the fish and they get into fish oil, which is, I love that they went that far with it. <laughs> they weren't just yeah, like, it's in the ocean now. Uh Oh, they were like, and then it's in the fish and then it's in the fish oil. And now you're going to be, so basically it sets up a status quo for season three where lots of people are going to get terogenesis and it's going to be out in the open and you can't just keep that a secret anymore but uh but i also i would be remiss not to say that that is all that scene of her saying i want it we need to keep things a secret and colson is like i know is also a tease for people in the know of secret warriors which is this group of marvel comics of inhumans who are powered people but in this version just of inhumans that in the comics at that point the character of quake was kind of leading as a covert task force of special power people and it kind of sets that up as a potential storyline for season three and that is a season that we are not watching so You can tell how I feel about how that worked out. But it's a cool thing to leave off on. Oh, well, it's not the only thing we left off on. No, no, it is not. Um, And that is, Bill, remember when I was was like, wow, the bottom of the ocean is not the worst thing that ever kept these two apart, Fitz and Simmons? Uh, Now you know what I was referring to, because my girl Simmons, she gets this cute little, um, like, conversation with Fitz where he's like, hey, you want to maybe do dinner, but in the most awkward way possible? And she's like, oh, now I understand what you mean, sure. But Fitz accidentally opens the case of the monolith, which we didn't really talk about, but the monolith is this thing that kind of is in the bottom of the ship that um, that Gonzalez is in control of and that kind of sets off the tension between the Inhumans and S.H.I.E.L.D. because they're like this is lethal to Inhumans we can't let uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. possess it well we don't really know anything about it except it's this big giant rock that turns into water and then turns back into a rock Um, and in the very end they open up that case by accident. Fitz walks away and uh, it all leaks out. Simmons gets sucked inside and uh, we don't know what happens next that was cool 
That was a real big shocking moment. I was like, wow. So like, you that, didn't that, know that, that was coming? Away. No. Okay, no, that's I cool. Did I didn't know if you knew about that. I like that. I liked a lot. I like that a lot. And it's horrifying, and it's so fast. Yes. Like we had the it, privilege of being able to like rewind it if we wanted to, and be like, "Wait, what happened?" Imagine like you're watching it on live TV, and that happens. And you're just like, "Wait, what?" And now season's over. See you in three months. Like it's a pretty bold move. That's a mic drop moment. I like. Yeah, I liked it a lot, and it was it was earned. It wasn't. It didn't feel cheap at all. No. It was like, dun, dun, dun. and you're like, no, you're like, oh, my God. Also, Bobby is oh, Bobby is definitely not doing so hot. She got really, really badly injured. I like the fact that oh, like yeah. they didn't do the action movie thing of like she dusts herself off. is like, I'm mama right now. It's like, no, she got really fucked up by that fight. And the gunshot. <laughs> to the point to the point of where there's a whole scene where it's like, no, 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 no. You have like a whole battery of surgeries left. Yeah, that's that weird. You're not even you're... stable. And once you're stable, there's even more surgeries after that. Yeah, it's <laughs> like you're really fucked up, dude. And I was just like, I, I yeah, that was a good one. And I was like, how is she going to get out of that? And she takes it. And I was like, oof. Yeah. She must love that Nick blood. <laughs> and of course, we have May finally deciding to take a vacation with her with her ex-husband, which is nice. She's packing a bikini. And a gun. That Well, of course. can't. I like that she thinks about leaving it and is like, can't leave the gun <laughs> there's i don't know i have to be prepared and then of course we did we also didn't talk about our poor agent 33 um and ward their that tragic love story of theirs <laughs> what did you think about the resolution of that where may completely outsmarts the, them both and gets oh so good. killed just if you it's haven't so watched good. basically what happens is uh agent 33 uh likes to put on may's face uh for subterfuge through that mask that she has um and so basically she, uh may realizes that that agent 33 has possession of a like of an intercom or a speaker that they're using and she sends her in a direction that she knows ward is going to be and she sends her there making her think that it would be to her benefit, to Agent 33's benefit, to pretend to be May. Um, and then Ward, without hesitation, um, spots her, kills her, and then realizes, oh no, it's that girl that I liked. So uh, I like that. It was she's really, pretty pissed. Uh, but uh, how did you feel about that? That was a really great scene. That was really great. I, I think for a second I bought it, I'm like, mm, maybe he just, you know, I was like, he shot her once. I'm like, ah, I should be fine. Then it was like five times. I'm like, oh, I think that's Agent 33, I hope. And um, yeah, it was uh, so clever. Such a clever scene. I Again, it's like, that's, it's the really good spycraft stuff you can do. And I, and I wish it had been applied elsewhere, but it, it was, it was really well done. And, and again, I didn't hate Ward as much this season. I'll, I'll just say it now. I like him as a bad guy, a stone cold, true, dyed in wool, bad guy. And now he is on a revenge mission to reform Hydra just to get even with the S.H.I.E.L.D. members who cost him the love of his life. Revenge is a bad business model, so good luck with that. <laughs> Certainly, we'll have to find out next season how that works out for him. So that's kind of like where everybody kind of leaves uh, things um how do you like closing thoughts on the episodes before and on this season before we move oh, into yeah. our categories shield like okay so we have like 20 plus episodes per season this is the show that like there is a sweet spot here that this show needed to be and i feel like if it was less episodes not yeah. six that we're getting now but if it's less episodes people would have loved this show because from what you're telling me about all this stuff is like there's a lot of fat Mm -hmm. And when you trim the fat on this, it's it, it, I think you get some really great television. 
Whereas what we're seeing with Marvel now is they're making things, and I don't know why, you know, if this is budget or whatever, it's too lean. It's so lean, it's almost to the bone. Yeah. Like we talked about when Miss Marvel, man, we could have used another episode or so to to get the uh, clandestines to be more fleshed out. Or, wow, She-Hulk just flew by. It was like we barely got to know her. You know what I mean? It's just like we could have used more, whereas this could have used less. And I feel like if there had been less episodes, I'm not taking my, I don't want to, the show's over, so I'm not trying to take money out of people's <laughs> pockets. But I'm just saying, less episodes, I think you get a much more well-received show. I think that would have been what good. they learned from this experience in season two and season one is that that lesson exactly. And what they move from that point is they try to break the show into pods is what they refer to them as, where Which they tell smart. a more densely Which concentrated arc that opens up into a bigger arc that is also like segmented. Karen, 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 Karen. Now it's time for Karen Page's No Good, Horrible, Very Bad Day Award, where we decide who had the worst day in this season of TV. And Bill, there are a lot of people to choose from uh, this time around. I don't oh, know if you want man. me to go for a second run through some options for you. Um, we have... No, I I have Okay. I have Who's your winner? I, it, it, it's, it's May. Sure. We all know who the real winner is. Karen Page obviously was having the shittiest day <laughs> ever while this was yeah, happening. Well, like, you have no idea. You like no, you have no idea how bad it was. But I do we think do, we actually the whole do story... know how bad it was because the end of this season corresponded with the first season of Daredevil. So we know exactly how bad her day was, and it was bad. So she's she's on her way from Ohio. No, to, she's been, she's in New York City, and she is responsible for multiple murders by this point. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that character so much because it's just like she's just like she's like ah oh, just someone from the Midwest. I'm responsible for ten deaths. <laughs> <laughs> like within the first 20 minutes of the series. But so oh, while she God was busy her. getting into all sorts of trouble uh, uh, in Hell's Kitchen. It's May. Yeah, it's May, May for you. I mean, I think that's, that is, it's uh, hard to say that anything beats that. I mean, we see the toll that that took on her. We talked about it in length. Um, I will say there, are, yeah. for me, um, for me, I'm going to go with Sky. I think that it's a, I think that, you know, uh, she at least has a pretty good case. Um, May, it wasn't her daughter that she had to kill. Uh <laughs> Yeah, but Sky, still uh, had her her worst day, I think, was when uh, her dad has to kill her mom in front of her to keep her mom from killing her. Uh, it's a rough. T- oh, yeah. Those were good effects, yeah. by the way. Those and were pretty good effects. Like, you know, just like draining this, the, the resolution out of the image, you know, but it works. It does, doesn't need to get fancy sometimes. So uh, that would be my winner. Some other runners up, uh, Gordon in the flashback when he gets his powers. Uh, that seemed like a fucking terrible day. Ooh, man, yeah. that was Oof. rough. Yikes. Um, <laughs> I'd say that um, Mac, when he visits Puerto Rico, uh, probably not the worst trip to Puerto Rico that anyone's ever had, but definitely, you know, top five, I think, worst for him. Uh, lost one of his good friends, fell a hundred feet to his death, got mind controlled by an alien city. Not the best day for him. Also, Reina, I think, has a good case here because, you know, she spent her whole life wanting yeah. to become a, a blue angel and turned into the queen of thorns, uh, as, as it were. And when she describes what it's like to be her, the kind of the fact that like her bone, her insides feel like, oh, like granite rubbing against each other. And like every time that she moves, all of the spikes in her body hurt and just like, man, and she can't sleep because she just has visions of death and destruction, which turns out the vision of death and destruction that she sees is Sokovia. Uh, of Sokovia. course, um, 
very um, upsetting there. So, yeah, uh, I think a lot of people had bad days. I'm going to go with Sky. She wanted her whole life for her for her family to get reunited, and it ended in most definitely the absolute worst case scenario. <laughs> it's time for the Hallway Fight Hall of Fame Award, uh, where we talk about our favorite action moments. And we alluded to this earlier in our episode, but action beats went up yeah. majorly uh, between season one and season two. They actually had the time to have fight choreography that lasted more than four moves. That was really cool. But second season, they really bring it. They really get a chance to make the most of the opportunities they have here. And there's a yeah. lot of good options, I think. Um, who? What's the one that got yours? Oh, it's still going to be the uh, Bobby uh, versus Team Ward. I think that's that's great. I mean, they I love how they're just popping in and out of like they're going through walls. Or people are flying yeah. in from different angles. And it's what really sold me on Bobby, because this is a character because we jumped around in episodes. I didn't get a lot of time with. And now to see mm-hmm. her in action is this she is this wildly capable, you know, shield agent who also, you know, we see earlier is not just physically tough, but emotionally and mentally just a badass. And you're just like, wow. And so that just seals the deal. And then that, so we get invested in her because she's, she's super tough. And then when it, that kind of sells even more how she's trying to save Nick blood and uh, you know, and, and she takes the bullet and you, and you realize through that fight scene where she's willing to fight through so much and all that pain that, Obviously, she's going to take that bullet. Yeah. Like, you, you, and this isn't like, it wasn't like a hollow, I love you so much. I'm going to take a bullet for you. She's like, no, no, no. That is, that is part of her DNA. And that, that, I think that sells that, that drama even more and that emotion when you're like, oh, she might not make it out. I think that sells it even more. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that if I had to pick one, I would pick that one as well. There are some other options out there. Oh, and yeah. I think all of the good fight scenes this season are good because they match the choreography with the emotions. Like you feel emotionally invested in the, yeah. in the fights. They don't feel arbitrary. Uh, like there's a fight where Sky and May get into it after that was a good one. After the false flag attack on Afterlife. <laughs> I think that was really great because like it's, it's so emotionally loaded. It's basically like, sorry, you know fake mom i'm siding with my real mom now um you can get the fuck out um she literally says i'm sorry may you're not wanted and then she just blows her with her powers and i love the kind of storytelling there because she reworded that okay okay. phrasing fair enough (laughs) but but i love the i love the storytelling in that fight scene because you start out where Sky is using all of the things that May has taught her, and May is matching her blow by blow, yeah. and then she finally comes into her own and says, "What? Like I need to be myself. I need to use the powers that my mother has given me to fight you." And it's it's like a great kind of like explanation of her arc in that moment using the fight yes. arc, choreography. And I think honestly, a better version of what happens in Captain Marvel when when Carol fights against Yonrog at the end, when he's like, you need to prove to me that you can fight me without your powers. And she's just like, no, and blasts him. Like, that's a funny moment. And I like the, I like the idea behind it, but I like that this has a progression where she really, she's, she just instinctively does what may taught her and then realizes that I need to be my own person in this moment. And then I use the thing that may could never do. And, and, uh, and ultimately win the fight that way. I liked that evolution. Okay, now we have the Fitzsimmons Memorial Cold Shower Award, where we talk about romantic pairings that are being artificially pulled apart thanks to plot contrivances. 
curious for you what was the worst def- offender this season i don't know her getting in the gray stuff and like getting sucked into it but it wasn't <laughs> i was hoping they were going to go to applebee's for endless apps and marks like i don't know i was just like holy shit yeah. because it was very <laughs> it was like you know it's the will they won't they it's it's super cute but mm-hmm. it's like that was generally shocking like when we talked about it last time when yeah. they're on the ocean so i'm like how the fuck did any of that work and you're like don't worry about it like this was uh-huh. <laughs> whoa that's like a real deal cold shower of just basically gray paint that just sucked her into it yes and if you notice it is kind of fitz's fault of course it's by accident but he does accidentally open that thing and that's a nice mirror of what kept them apart for most of this season which was you know the trauma that fitz experienced and the guilt that uh simmons had over surviving that was kind of the thing that kept them apart all season long and they finally rebuilt their friendship and they finally got to this point where maybe they could finally have that conversation and then of course gets um sucked into a space rock (laughs) so i I just hope those two crazy kids do it one day because it's just like the sexual tension is just it's just phenomenal between them i'm sure they they got a a lot more pain and suffering before we get there it's only season two (laughs) (laughs) they're both gonna explode at one point and they probably do (laughs) no i'm not gonna give any spoilers Um, yes (laughs) but uh but what i will tell you is just like i said last week this is not the craziest thing that is going to keep them apart over the course of this series now it's time for our last segment which is not even agent romanoff could do that where we talk about some marvel references that get peppered in throughout the season now there are less overt ones from season one which i think was uh very um useful i appreciated the slight restraints um, but I'm going to run through a list of some of them, and then if you have other, any others, yeah. um, you can add it. Uh, Von Strucker from Age of Ultron Honestly. gets referenced uh, quite often in the second half of the season. Um, his scientist friend, uh, Dr. List, who is technically responsible for the Maximoff twins, and his role in Age of Ultron is basically to stand next to Von Strucker and be like, should we activate the twins? And he's like, do it. And that's like all he does on the, in the movie <laughs> before he gets killed. But um, but here, he has a lot to do. Uh, mostly just uh, not really that much to do, but he's there. Um, um, we also have Jesus. Nick Fury. Uh, Nick Fury gets mentioned many, many times, obviously, uh, at the end of the season. Uh, also, uh, Nick Fury has a toolbox, of course, Fury's toolbox, big plot point. It is coated with vibranium, and that makes it very hard uh, to open. That's a little bit of an Easter egg. That's way before we even had uh, Black yeah. Panther. We, we were dropping vibranium mentions. Um, my, it's said that Mike Peterson has been off screen most of the season because he was tracking down Von Trucker's scientists lists headquarters in the Arctic circle. Uh, that is where we ultimately end up in episode 19, which is what I referred to earlier. Uh, Deathlock and Lincoln are both kidnapped uh, and brought to that HQ so they could do experiments. And during those scenes, they mentioned like, well, we have to try to make sure that more people can respond well to this alien technology than just the twins uh, referring again to the Maximoff twins. Um, Eventually, they are rescued, as I said, during and then during a Zoom call with Maria Hill, Coulson gives her the headquarters to Loki's scepter, um, which he covertly acquired during that raid. That sequence, which is like 60 seconds long, is also cross-cut with Reyna getting a vision of a beautiful scepter and men made of metal tearing our cities apart, and the world will never be the same. So that is, of course, reference to Age of Ultron. That came out just before Age of Ultron did in theaters. And then, as I said, we find out that Theta Protocol 
that is uh, the bee in everybody's bonnet during most of this season um, is, of course, uh, the project. <laughs> that is the project that is Thanks, creating Grandpa. helicarriers. Listen, I wear my dungarees one leg at a time and I put bees in bonnets. Motherfucker. I was wondering <laughs> if you were going to say. And, of course, one of uh... Pat Oswalt's characters has been uh, the one behind the scenes building the, the, the helicarrier. So that's fun. Um, as well so those are those are the things that i wrote down anything else that you noticed i have some gonzalez mentions tony stark and he said ultron was built by tony stark and all the people just stood around him that was the closest i came to being like maybe gonzalez has a point and and the way that they were like yeah because well, because like making that comparison between colson and his team and how stark led the avengers into accidentally creating ultron infamously uh, a moment that calls to mind um is in civil war when tony is like ultron my bad uh <laughs> <laughs> one of the few parts of civil war i like they also mentioned the hulk sure they're in a cabin point. that was I built to, to sustain yeah. the hulk uh it takes an hour for a battering ram to break in so uh, i feel like the hulk could have gotten in there so uh those are the two that i definitely remember them talking about um yeah, all right that's all well that's gonna do it for us today now we're not covering season three as i said I'm going to ask Bill to watch three episodes from season three that we will talk about in our previously on segment next next month. Sure. Um, those episodes are going to be kind of like a li- maybe one of the best episodes in the entire history of the series, uh, which is where we find out what happened to Simmons in that space rock. <laughs> and uh, that's episode five. And then uh, we're going to kind of check back in with the mid-season finale of the last two episodes before their mid-season break. Uh, and that is episode nine and 10 of season three. Um, and that's kind of where some major things happen in terms of that really matter for the long-term plot of the show. Um, but then everything after that, I feel like is just not worth getting into. So we're going to watch those. We're going to talk about them very briefly. But what we're really going to be talking about next month is the first set of episodes from season four, which is otherwise known as the Ghost Rider arc. And that is episode one through eight. It aired fall of 2016. And of course, we're going to be having the great Perry Constantine on that show um, from Superhero Cinephiles. And he's going to be talking to us about his long history as a huge fan of Ghost Rider um, in the comic books and in other media. Um, So that's our Ghost Rider episode. That's next month. We're very excited for it. And I wanted to say that we actually have an interview with the actor who portrayed Ghost Rider. Gabriel Luna playing Robbie Reyes's version of Ghost Rider, who was the Ghost Rider on S.H.I.E.L.D. And then we have a couple S.H.I.E.L.D. from that season, season four. We have a couple of interviews with Clark Gregg and Chloe Bennett as well. So we're very excited. It's going to be really great. Um, that show is going to be kicking off a series of three episodes where we kind of get into the specific arcs of season four. So it's going to be a little bit less uh, jam packed. And I think that'll be good because we can really not dive into the nitty gritty. Uh, I'm very excited. Season four is my favorite season of the show. It's widely considered the best um, in many circles. So I can't wait to get started on that next month. Uh, but until then, Bill, where can our audience find more of your work out there? Uh, check out thepopbreak.com every single day. We've been doing this for 14 years. And this is one of our best, I, I want to say, content summer. Summer's on a long, long, long time. We've got a great new crop of writers in here writing some good stuff. And uh, we also have a lot of excellent podcasts uh, shepherded by my partner on this podcast. So follow me on Twitter at BodkinWrites. Follow Pop Break on Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, and Facebook at The Pop Break. 
And also check out the Socially Distance Podcast, which drops every single Friday on all your favorite streaming platforms. We're gearing up for our Ahsoka series. We're really excited for that. And Alex, where can people find you in the great world of social media? Sure, you can follow me at Alex Marcus on Blue Sky. You can follow me at Media Thinkings on Letterboxd. Uh, you can follow my other podcast, uh, TV Break, that I do with Bill and Josh over on the Pop Break TV feed. We got a lot of fun stuff coming. We're going to be talking. If you're a fan of our guy, um, Mr. Fitz himself, uh, he is going to be popping up on a new show on MGM Plus at the end of the month, and we're going to be reviewing it uh, for a TV Break, so you can definitely look for that. That is The Winter King, where he gets to play yeah. King Arthur, which is pretty awesome. So we're very excited to review that show for MGM Plus, and we will uh, definitely hope you check in on that as well to see what he's been up to since he's been off of shield that's a little do it for us uh don't forget uh season three episode five season three episode nine and ten and then season four episode one through nine check it all out it's going to be great i can't wait to continue on this journey with you guys uh and until then we'll see you then bye